And we're recording. Hello, everyone. Hey, what's up, man? I'm I'm feeling fired up today. Not gonna oh, lie, I know why. Oh yeah, yeah. I bet you are too. Yeah, for various reasons. The same reason you are, but also others as well. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Well, today is, uh, is Labor Day, and uh, I'm off of school, but that doesn't mean I'm off from school work. Oof. Ooh. So last night, well, actually the whole weekend, I've just been struggling to create a lesson plan for tomorrow, and I finally got that done this morning after a lot of research and a lot of thinking. Um so I'm happy about that. That's a weight off my shoulder. But that's one thing a lot of people don't understand about teaching is that when the school year is on, it's nonstop busyness, whether you're in school teaching or whether you're out of school, lesson planning, grading, doing bullshit required by the state, like self-assessments, uh, SLOs, you know, and a variety of other alphabet uh, related activities. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, yeah, during the school year, it's not only a marathon, it's a sprint, it's a marathon sprint. And that's why there's so much teacher burnout, because it's hard running that race at full speed for nine straight months. Imagine so. doing it for years. Oh, yeah. You've been at it for, what, seven years? Seven. Oh, yeah. Well, I think I'm going into my eighth. I stopped counting. Let's just say I'm, I'm going into my eighth. Oh, damn. <laughs> Eight years of having three jobs in one. Correct, yes. That is correct, yeah. Yeah. So, sounds like you are really enjoying your not holiday. Actually, I'm getting a lot done, but uh, one thing that's making me sad is the dog is sick. Our buddy, Sirius Black, he is sick. Poor boy. He's got a high temperature. Ah, he got a doggy fever. Yeah, his mom actually is coming home from work, uh... To, to help help take care of him. Uh-huh. Well, he's a Sharpay lab mix. And so Sharpays, they get, Sharpays have something wrong with them genetically where they get these random fevers that have no uh, obvious causes. Hmm. So Sharpays suffer from that. That's really weird. Yeah, they're, they're cute dogs. And they're Chinese as well. Their background is Chinese. So mm-hmm. that's cool. But uh, they suffer from that, and that's so sad, man. Not really a hardy breed. No, I think they were made for guard dogs because they got this loose skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, this They got loose skin, Sharpays do, and they're so cute. Uh, but I don't know what purpose their loose skin serves other than like for helping them fight. I don't know. I figured loose skin would be detrimental. I mean... Like, especially, let's say you're coming up against, like, another animal that that bites. Wouldn't that basically give the other animal something to latch onto? Yeah, but it wouldn't, since the skin is loose, it wouldn't uh, harm them as much if it was just, like, to, to your regular skin, right? 
That's what I, I'm thinking. Yeah, I can see that too. Kind of provides like a layer of protection. Yeah, but I can definitely see if 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 you fought somebody that had, you know, like we do humans, posable thumbs and hands, you know, if you fought somebody like that, then it wouldn't be an advantage. You just grab a skin and beat the shit out of something. Not to say animals, but I'm just saying, imagine there's a human with loose skin. <laughs> <laughs> God, what if that'd be such a disadvantage? <laughs> just yeah. imagine your skin is flopping around in the wind. <laughs> Someone grabs a hold of it, trying to rob you. You just like stretch out, like oh, you'd be an X Men. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be like the amazing whoopee cushion or something. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully dog feels better soon. Um, but what else has got you particularly fired up today, too? Um, well, I guess one thing that's particularly got me fired up and I could, the rest of our country so far is the uh, the step, I guess, into fascism of Texas um, or the closer to fascism in Texas. Mm-hmm. Texas is going a little wee bit more fascist. A state of post-democracy, one might say. Yeah, according to that Washington Post article. And, and another thing about Texas, too, I've actually been to San Antonio, and it's one of the most pretty cities I've ever been to because it has this river walk. And this river walk is absolutely gorgeous. Um, obviously, words can't describe it, but I'll try to describe it right now. Um, this river walk, it's like you're jungle, <laughs> but you're in the city. Because think about our downtown right now. Yeah. Where we live. Mm -hmm. Think about if there were a subterranean level. I wouldn't even say subterranean because it's not really underground. But think about if our downtown had a had a basement, so to speak, an open basement, so to speak. And around the river flowed beautiful paths, beautiful trees, beautiful shops, etc. That's Mm -hmm. the river walk. And it's. 100% 100% gorgeous. Also, um, around the Riverwalk, there, there are a ton of little communities in San Antonio, like uh, La Vida, La Villita, the little village. Yeah. And uh, it's very good to vacation to. And I wouldn't, mind, I wouldn't have mind living in San Antonio if not for the state being run by um, mentally deficient people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm trying not to use the R word because I don't want to offend people. I wouldn't who even have call mental them, disabilities. I, w- I wouldn't call them even mentally deficient. I would just call them malicious. They're just fucking maliciously. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're just pro- they're just very malicious human beings. Yes. Yeah. I feel like in Texas, I mean, it's so anti-life. <laughs> Tex- <You> know, it- <laughs> the state of Texas is not a place that's particularly conducive to human flourishing and well-being and just living in general. But yet, how many millions of people manage to like eke out an existence there? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, this actually reminds me. Uh, so at my work, I have a lot of time to listen to like audiobooks and stuff. Excellent. And I've been listening to one history text called El Norte. And mm. its full title is El Norte, 
Uh, the Epic and Forgotten Story of Hispanic North America by author Carrie Gibson. Preach that shit, because just like Plymouth Rock, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock. It really landed on us. Well, for the Mexican-Americans, oh, <laughs> the United yeah. States landed on you. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of what I've uh, listened to uh, recently in this part of the book deals a lot with a lot of Texan history. Um, Particularly, like we just got past the the Texas War of Independence from Mexico, for Mm. example. And I'm like, looking at the aftermath of that, especially in the context of what what is happening now, I'm like, God, what a fucking mistake. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and also the Mexican-American War, which was just a war started by the United States government to take Mexican land that is now, what, Arizona, New Mexico? California. California, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, build a wall, yeah, build a wall from the United fucking States. <laughs> it's fucking, yeah. And so you can't invade. <laughs> like, as soon as Texas got its independence from Mexico, like slavery fucking skyrocketed practically so slavery already existed in in texas right Mm -hmm. however when it was still part of mexico uh mexico at the time had actually outlawed slavery while the united states was still a slave country and a lot of the calls for independence came from Anglos, not just Anglos, but like Tejanos as well, landowning Tejanos. But, landowning, yeah, keyword there. Yeah, but also a lot of landowning Anglos who made their money off of slavery. <laughs> and when Mexico had outlawed slavery, these people were like, fuck that. We want our fucking slaves. <laughs> so when Texas won that war against mexico for their independence well guess what happened (laughs) fucking slavery overdrive and i'm thinking to myself man if those motherfuckers had just lost just got fucking rolled by the mexican army i think history would have actually been legit better yeah i mean it's so hard not to be cynical about american history yeah we see we're we're told the Alamo is a play is the last stand of freedom. Bullshit. What the fuck do most people know about the the Alamo anyway? <laughs> like most Americans have like the most stupid idea of what the fucking Alamo was about. Had nothing mm-hmm. to do with the United States. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was literally you know Texas which was formerly a Mexican state rebelling against Mexico. That's fucking it. There was no freedom or liberty. And a lot of those motherfuckers wanted to continue the practice of slavery. Yet another war, right? Fought over slavery. We can do a whole fucking episode in the future, I think, about that. Just based off El Norte and other sources. Oh, but right now... Yeah, let's talk about some current events. Let's get into the specifics because we've been talking pretty about a lot of different things. 
So there's a, a few stories that we wanted to share with you that are related to the issues going on in the state of Texas regarding the abortion ban, for the most part. So do you want oh, yeah. to go right into that, Martin? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so one of the things that I am pulling up right now is a Washington Post opinion uh, from the, what's the date? From September 1st, 2021 by Dana Milbank. Well, um, yeah, Dana Milbank, a columnist. A columnist. Mm-hmm. And uh, this article really informed me not only about the new abortion ruling in there, but also, I mean, <laughs> also, um, and on Tuesday, I'm quoting, the Texas legislature passed the final version of the Republican voting bill that bans drive through and 24-hour voting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also an, another law here where <laughs> permitless, quote-unquote, permitless carry. So... <laughs> Also on Wednesday, so after that happened on Wednesday, a new law went into effect in Texas over the objections of law enforcement. Wow. Allowing all Texans otherwise allowed to own guns to carry them in public without a license and without training. Yeah. What the yeah. Fuck? I had just get, scoped on to that point, too. Uh, without license, this? without permit, without safety training and without fingerprinting. These fuckers watch too many Westerns. It's like, oh, great. A country Jesus with the, the largest amount of hate groups in the United States. <laughs> let, let me let me Google that to be just totally sure. Uh, state with the most hate groups in the U.S. I wish the Black Panthers would just magically um, come alive again and have their headquarters in Texas and carry that shit around their neighborhoods. No shit. And and here's the thing: the even the fucking cops say no, <laughs> no. Actually, I am mistaken. Texas is actually not oh. the state with the most hate groups in the country. I'm I'm basing this off of data from the Southern Poverty Law Center. It's fucking up there, though. Like the weird thing is, like California somehow has more hate groups in the fucking state of texas does where there be more people it could be that too um but mm-hmm. but here's the thing that i'm wondering about too speaking of history i mean i'm seeing parallels between now around the world and the early 20th century with the rise of fascism the rise of totalitarianism i'm, I'm definitely seeing a lot of parallels though and it scares me Oh, yeah. People should be fucking drawing those parallels. People are like, it may not be exactly the same, you know, like dudes like goose stepping in uniform, like or anything like that with giant swastika banners promising like a third or fourth Reich. But it doesn't have to be to be on par with that. And what's disturbing, too, about that voter suppression law is, and uh, the author Dana Milbank says here, Texas became a majority minority state more than 15 years ago, and the country as a whole will follow about uh, will follow in about two decades. 
Is but white voters still dominate the electorate. Latinos are about 40% of the Texas population, but only 20 to 25% of the electorate. Is electorate. it, yeah, is it any fucking shock that states like Texas are pushing laws, like voting laws mm. that discriminate largely against black and Latino voters? Well, like, I'm also seeing parallels to South Africa, right? Yeah. Um, the minority whites right ruled over the majority black populace apartheid so i'm also seeing parallels there right there are legit parallels it's not exactly the same but there are fucking parallels and that's bad enough i i mean and those are only i mean in god so i guess you can do anything you want to a gun in texas i mean you can fuck it you can kiss it you can keep stroking it like uh, like our buddy Bob. <laughs> like <laughs> I tell Bob. you about that story before? Yeah, I know about the Bob stories. Remember Bob from last episode who sent me that? Yeah, let's let's yeah. let's talk let's talk about another <laughs> Bob story, everybody. That happened quite a long time ago. But I was with Bob and my other buddy and we went and bought guns together, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, first of all, I'm like, man, buying a gun is easy. I put down like 300 bucks and 10, 15 minutes later, I got a gun now. Oh, okay. Well, Bob brought a gun too. So we all got guns. Of course. <laughs> sounds weird. We all have guns. We go back to my buddy's place, not Bob, but Bob comes with us. And Bob, um, when, we're at my bu- when we're at my buddy's place, right? We all put our guns away and we're just chilling. But Bob, this motherfucker, he... You know, he takes a clip out of his gun, right? And his gun, you know, there's, not, it's not loaded or anything. But he just keeps looking at his gun. He keeps holding it. Keeps he keeps stroking it. I guess I don't know. Stro- you know, clip pulling it back. You know, you do when you, yeah, um, like when you're cocking it and playing around. Yeah, with yeah, it. cock it. Yeah, shouldn't play around it. with it no matter what. But you shouldn't play around on what. But he keeps doing that. I mean, you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, it's like a little fucking kid, right? Finally, the wife of my buddy's like, "Can you put that away?" <laughs> oh, no, Bob. <laughs> like Bob, what the? F- <laughs> should we? Yeah, should we also tell the story of what Bob did with that gun? And he shot. He was playing with it in his house. Well, in his apartment, and he shot a hole through his wall. Yeah. Does and he doesn't know if, you know, it, he doesn't know if it hurt anybody. This is, yeah, could have easily fucking killed somebody. Doesn't know if anybody got hurt. I mean, assuming there wasn't like any medical personnel on the scene or whatever, I guess not. But could have easily fucking killed somebody just because he can't because he's playing with a gun like it's his dick. Oh, yeah, and he's also the guy that got his gun taken away by the cops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this <laughs> is like... to argue with an officer, and the officer saw he had a uh, gun in the car. Yeah, was he, like, speeding or something, or what What was he doing? Well, yeah, it was like a traditional traffic stop, but uh, he kept arguing with the officer. Blah, 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 and the officer saw that um, he had a gun in his car. I don't... Did he have his permit carry? He must not have his permit carry on him or he didn't have it at the time. So he got his, uh, yeah, so he got in trouble for that. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, when I think of gun owners, I think of Bob. <laughs> Unfortunately, we think of Bob. And that isn't to say there aren't responsible gun owners. Yeah. Like, kudos and props to you guys and gals and and be gun owners that don't do that <laughs> who are legit good gun gun owners i have but, a gun but i rarely even touch it see, i mean it's, martin's got a gun martin's responsible yeah for his gun. it's just a little 22 handgun but I, I barely even touch it it's only in case somebody comes into the house yeah so so good on you for being a responsible Rudy Tootie Fruity Shooty owner. Yeah, but I definitely don't think people should be able to fucking walk around with guns unless you're a cop, <laughs> nah. or, or unless you're like Secret Service. You know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Like I see people at work do that, and I I, I laugh at them. I le- I legit stare a fucking hole in their fucking head while they're walking around. With a smirk on my face. And I just mean mug them in addition to smirking at them the whole time. Like when I'm uh, down stacking bananas or something on the sales floor, shit, I'm doing that. (laughs) And I'm like, what are they going to do? Shoot me? I don't care. (laughs) Hey, you smirked at me. I'm going to (laughs) blow your fucking brains out. Yeah. And I realized, too, you know, if I were black, that would probably be a legitimate worry of mine. The funny thing is, yeah. when I worked there, and you've probably seen this dude, it, have you seen that one guy who always wears, like, that shirt that's like, does this shirt offend you? And he brings his gun into the store, and it's like that fucking ugly-ass-looking yellow and black t-shirt he wears with the hat. Mm. Ah. I've seen that guy, like, a hundred times when I worked there. I'm like, wow, buddy, this is your whole personality. Just this is the thing you want to broadcast to the fucking world. Yeah. First thing they I'm a douchebag. You're a douchebag with a gun. OK, <laughs> yeah, get in fucking line. Dude, I've fucking legit seen like actual neo-Nazis walk into that store. And the fucking neo-Nazis didn't even bring a fucking gun. Probably because they know they wouldn't be able to get away with it. But yeah. I didn't know the neo-Nazis, though. They got fucking Nazi tattoos and shit. I've seen people, like... Oh, really? Yeah. Please. I've seen, like, one, maybe a couple times. It's super rare that I've seen them. But I have seen neo-Nazis come in. And... But, like... Like... Tattoos, the whole look, and everything. But see... That kind of stuff invites... It invites conflict. Yeah. Like, like what I just said. Staring a hole at them. I feel personally threatened. That's why I'm staring a hole at him, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't know the 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 bravado, the machismo in me makes it so that I feel of energy that 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 open carry bullshit, whatever that kind of energy that people put out. Yeah, it has consequences, and it, it increases tension more. And what happens when we increase tension? Well, shit can go down. Mm-hmm. So it's absolutely um, I'm trying to think of a word without saying the R word. Um, man, what, what's a good word, man? It's mentally deficient. I don't know what you want to call it. It's fucking bad regardless. Stupid. But yeah. But I guess the third law that we can talk about now is the 
I guess the more infamous one that's coming out, even though those yeah. are still disturbing ones, especially the voter uh, suppression. suppression. Yeah. yeah. The anti-abortion one. Mm-hmm. So it's, at least according to this one website called L. Don't know what, I think this is more like a blog. So don't get me wrong. Um, Texas has currently the most restrictive abortion law in the country. Um, Texas actually already has a law on the books and it's called like the trigger law. So the trigger law would essentially go into effect if the United States Supreme Court were to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the trigger law would essentially literally ban all abortions. Just fucking, even, even in cases of rape and incest. Yeah, that's, that's stupid as well. It's, and Texas ain't the only state. There's at least 10 other states that fucking do that shit as well. They have laws in the books. Just, they're just, they're fucking horny. Well, man, these waiting. laws are just waiting. Yeah. They're just in the back, they're just in the cut waiting. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's yeah. Like a thirsty dude just waiting. That's like a date rape. That's like a dude who date rapes chicks. Just it's, waiting. In a weird way, it is kind of it sexually is. predatory, isn't it? It's a, yeah, it's date rape. But yeah, that's what this shit is, uh, metaphorically speaking. It's all about power. Power over, you know, a particular group of people. <laughs> In this yeah. case, it's particularly re- targeted towards women. Obviously, anybody that can fucking reproduce. But given that these people's like worldviews tend to be, you know, very heteronormative, you know, two genders, blah, 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 blah. And men. They have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So in reality, it affects, you know, like trans men as well, non-binary people, et cetera. But the it's intended and with the mindset to go after and control women, namely cis women. But it's. It is fucking, it's just pure malice. This shit is just pure fucking malice, especially Mm. in states that don't even bother providing any real meaningful, like, welfare or social security or, yeah, yeah, or social safety nets at all, like Texas. Like, the fucking state of Texas allows more reproductive freedoms for a goddamn virus that kills people than <laughs> it does anyone with a functioning fucking uterus. And that that's is... That's right there. And that's a quote from one of my good friends, actually. So, yeah, credit to Kristen, my friend Kristen. Well, that's a good singer. <laughs> yeah. Fucking the state of Texas gives more reproductive rights to fucking gun manufacturers than it does yeah. anyone with a uterus. Shit. That's why I posted that tweet about you can still make love to your gun. Yeah. It's just the hypocrisy of the pro life movement astounds me. I mean, it's they don't care. They care more about something that doesn't exist yet than something that does exist. Like yeah. <laughs> like you can argue about the personhood of a fucking fetus all day long. Yeah. I personally don't think a fetus is a person. Sorry, not sorry. No, I don't either. It's not a person. I take the Jim Cornette line. If it can't exist without the mom, it's not uh, human yet. <laughs> yes. Right. It's just like... It's no parasite. 
Why, why should it have more rights than a fucking than an actual person who is like alive in the world, <laughs> whose body doesn't depend on the functioning of another person's body? Mm. Yeah, he's not a parasite. Yeah. Oh, you can sorry, argue. I went there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically, that's how it functions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. We were all parasites at one time. Yeah, it's fine. Just fucking. <laughs> but it's the fucking, it doesn't even, oh, my thoughts are going all over the fucking place right now. Just thinking about this bullshit. Oof. I mean, what I don't understand, too, is that, or what I find disturbing as well is the lack of, people whom it affects their voices. Like I was talking to my wife about this and she was telling me um, like how, because, well, first of all, the new law says that you can get an abortion until six weeks, right? Yeah, heartbeat, until a heartbeat is detected. And uh, my wife was telling me about that, what it's like for a woman with periods and stuff like that. And it's stuff that I don't know because, you know, I'm a guy. So my voice in that area should not be taken above a woman's period. I, I agree. I agree to it, that. It's not <laughs> like, you know, a guy is so easy for us. We bust a nut. We're done. <laughs> but <laughs> it's well, very different from a woman. Yeah. Plus the reason that they go with the whole six weeks or until a heartbeat is detected is because they know that's going to effectively ban 85 to 90% of abortions. Yeah. Like there's no real philosophical reason or practical scientific reason to ban uh, abortion when there's a heartbeat detected. Yeah. And I think also too, these idiots have the, uh, I don't even want to say idiots at this point. Right. I should say, they're ignorant in that they don't know what an abortion is. For example, they probably think it's, oh, I'm going to rip this bait. I'm going to stick my hand in her vagina and just rip that shit out. It's or, not that. Or they do the thing, you know, like how those old abortion, anti-abortion videos are. It's like playing this dramatic music while this evil OBGYN is just got these pliers and is like, yeah. Dur, dur, dur. And, and it's like, yeah, he's like dissecting that shit too. It's not. It's, yeah throwing it in the trash or something like that yeah misinformation right that that misinformation that makes people ignorant yeah but they rely they rely yeah and they rely on that misinformation because they know the reality doesn't actually fit their narrative for what they're trying to accomplish that's it and these opportunistic politicians who just want to be elected yeah and there's another thing, too, that I would really want to draw attention to about Texas's uh, recent anti-abortion legislation is the fact that the bill that passed, what's it called, SB8? Let me see here. Allows essentially for people snitching on anybody who helps somebody get an mm. abortion with mm. an incentive of $10,000. So I'm reading an article from Ars Technica here, and it's oh okay, it's about how uh, the website because there was a very uh, notorious website and short lived 
that was hosted on GoDaddy.com. And it has been it's been taken down for violating its their privacy rules. And let me see here. And it's essentially the article describes it as a bounty law. This is from let's see, it looks like they're quoting the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So the Electronic Foundation the Electronic Frontier Foundation argued that the Texas law will unleash a torrent of lawsuits and that its prohibition on aiding or abetting abortion will have a chilling effect on speech protected by the First Amendment. And here is where they're quoting a representative from the EFF. SB 8 is a bounty law. It, does, it doesn't just allow these lawsuits. It provides a significant financial incentive to file them, the EFF wrote. It guarantees that a person who files and wins such a lawsuit will receive at least $10,000 for each abortion that the speech aided or abetted, plus their costs and attorney's fees. At the same time, SB8 may often shield these bounty hunters from having to pay the defendant's legal costs should they lose. This removes a key financial disincentive they might have and had against bringing meritless lawsuits. Opponents of the new abortion law have been flogging the snitch website with fake reports, which we're also going to get into that, too. Yes. I love that shit. Mm. Fucking direct action, baby. And trolling, too, at the same time. Texas Right to Life told USA Today that the group completely anticipated this and was prepared for all the trolls coming to the website. Sending the complaints to GoDaddy turned out to be more effective, but it didn't take long for the abortion whistleblower to switch over to Epic, which is its new host. So Hmm. it's going to get new hosting, unfortunately. But I'm hoping it it meets... I'm looking up Epic right now. What the hell is this? Yeah. Uh, Let's see. What the hell is Epic? Oh my God! It's a domain regist- It's an American domain registrar and web hosting company that no that is known for providing services to websites that host far right neo Nazi and extremist content. Wow! Isn't that a big fucking surprise? Who would have thought that pro lifers would be happy to go to this company that is more than happy to fucking host neo Nazis and extremist Jesus. content? Yeah, like like look in, look at the people with whom you are in bed. Yeah. Like some of I'm looking at the the Wikipedia article about Epic right now too. Some of Epic's notable clients have included Social Network Gab, neo-Nazi website The Daily Stormer, and the image board website 8chan. Doesn't 8chan allow like fucking child porn and stuff? Oh my god. Oh no. Let's see. Oh, the site has been linked to... This is 8chan, by the way. The site has been linked to white supremacism, neo-Nazism, the alt-right, racism, and anti-Semitism, hate crimes, and multiple mass shootings. The website was known for hosting child pornography. As a result, oh, it was filtered out from Google search. Uh, so, yeah, this should tell you all you fucking need to know about the people who run Epic. Founded by a guy named Rob... Monster. His name is literally Rob Monster. (laughs) He's a Dutch American tech executive and founder and chief and CEO of Epic. Wow. So 
mind you, this is a website that is this snitch website is basically working on behalf of the state of Texas. How? <laughs> this is like, you can't make this shit up. This is so fucking weird. You can't make it up. And yeah, this is fucking insanity. <laughs> like, this is like just white wiping the state of Texas. This should tell you who fucking really runs the state of Texas. Oh, my God. The kind of people in power in Texas right now. And and the funny thing is, I'm basing this off of what is reported on the Washington Post article that you shared with me. Uh, the majority of Texans actually object to a lot mm-hmm. of this legislation. Like Texans, I'm reading this section here. Texans also oppose banning all abortions if Roe v. Wade is overturned, with 53% against a ban and 37% for one. Women oppose the ban, 58% to 33%. A narrow plurality, 46% to 44%, oppose the six-week ban too. Mm. Meanwhile, you have a state legislating fucking bounty hunting, and then you have these creepy pieces of shit cropping up, basically helping you snitch on people who help anyone get an abortion. Jesus Christ. And then when they get shut down, they they find hosting pretty much right off the bat with a web domain that pretty much hosts websites like... The Daily Stormer and 8chan, who, again, host child porn. Yes. And and, and, the, and it was founded by a guy named, the last name Monster. His, his like, name I, is I literally... I always assume you can't judge a book by its cover, but I guess you can here. This guy's literally named Rob Monster. Sounds like a band name or something. Yeah. Sounds like a neo-Nazi group. Yeah. It's it's just fucking, oh my God. No, this is why people should be fucking concerned, not just with Texas, but in their own states, like in Ohio mm, too. Yes. Ohio is like diet Texas. That's what I fucking tell people. <laughs> Ohio is a diet Texas. Like before we in Ohio get on our own fucking high horse. No, we get all kinds of fucking lunatics running around this place. Yeah, like that Joe Blystone jack off. Like that pig fucker Joe Blystone. <laughs> Probably literal. Allegedly. We have to say allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Oh, I, I could fucking go all day talking about that asshole. But we got we got to keep going because mm. I want to like branch into something more positive and I hope is more of a trend in the near future too. So this is an article that you shared with me yesterday, right? Um, yeah, let me see. Yeah, you shared me. Yep. So this is the New York Times. TikTok users and coders flood Texas abortion site with fake tips. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And by the way, you don't want to piss off coders, computer programmers. They'll fuck your shit up. Or (laughs) Or TikTokers, apparently. Oh, really? (laughs) I'm just saying, they can hack your shit. They I think the kids are all right. (laughs) 
So, oh my God, I don't want to give you any money to read your shit, New York Times. <laughs> Fuck off. Do you want to read this? Oh, I can't either. Why are they paywalling this? Fuck you, <laughs> New York Times. Hold on. Yeah, it won't let me do it either. Hold on. I have a bunch of different accounts. So, well, yeah, but theoretically speaking, I mean, couldn't computer programmers. Well, couldn't. Yeah. Can't they cre- create artificial intelligence that will attack uh, this website? I mean, one of my ignorance on this issue is showing, but so that's what I was thinking. There's always been like lots of different ways that they're not necessarily hackers, but I guess you could say like online activists. Because I feel yeah. like that's like the broadest term you could probably go with. Um, have res- There's like a lot of different ways and methods that they've used to target websites like this. So like back in the day, I remember when this was popular when I was like a teenager. I, I never personally did this myself. But there was... This is back when... Uh, do you remember the whole thing in the early 2010s with Anonymous and the Church of Scientology? And the protests that yes. happened there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So a lot of people back then would target Church of Scientology websites with online tools called the Low Orbit Ion Cannon. Um, and it's basically, it actually has a legitimate use too. Like people, like uh, web designers and web hosts would actually use uh, this tool called Low Orbit Ion Cannon. Uh, to stress test their domains. Mm. It's a network stress testing device. Oh, okay. And it's about six years old. But people back then used this like all the time to DDoS uh, Church of Scientology websites. Mm. I like the name too, Ion Cannon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it has like a really cool looking little charging my laser that should show you that fucking meme should show you how old this really is um but i mean it's legal to actually own and use a low orbit ion cannon but it is technically illegal to use it uh to perform ddos attacks and for Mm. people who do do that uh websites nowadays can easily defend against it and it can also trace back people's IPs. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm not recommending people DDoS shit. But <laughs> when it happens, I will say I get a big fucking smile on my face. It reminds me of uh, the the stuff that idiot Reagan was doing and mm-hmm. or was thinking about in, in 1984, I believe, with Star Wars. Not Star Wars, the movie franchise, but Star Wars as in... This idiot was thinking about uh, creating something in space to block nuclear attacks. Oh, yeah. Obviously. I I remember that story. (laughs) Obviously, it was not possible, but still. Yeah. (laughs) But going back to this article. um, So TikTok users and coders flood Texas abortion site with fake tips. And I also do want to get to the one guy. There was one guy in particular who developed a bot to actually spam the website. Mm, Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of stuff I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. AI. The bot is AI, right? 
Uh, not necessarily. I think oh, okay. most bots just run like a script. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah like running script. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Bot takes down. Should I could probably code that. I know a little bit of Python. I can't imagine if you if you know coding, it's probably not too terribly hard to actually do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can definitely see that. Here's another one about that from insider.com. And I think you'll really, really like the title of this. People are using bots and quote Shrek porn to spam a tip line for Texas's six week abortion ban. And anti-abortion, this is, I'll come back to the New York Times website here in a bit, but an anti, this insider article, uh, that, that headline has won me over. Good job to whoever wrote that fucking headline. <laughs> an anti-abortion Texas website has become the target of internet memes and spam after a restrictive abortion bill went into effect Wednesday. The new Texas law bans abortions once a fetal heartbeat can be detected as early as six weeks after conception. Wednesday evening, the Supreme Court decided not to intervene with the enforcement of the law in a 5-4 uh, ruling. Uh, but I just, I know, I just want to get to the fucking Trek porn stuff. <laughs> Online... Of course, taking more of a state's right. Yeah, fuck state rights. Online activists have been sarcastically encouraging others to send false tips to the line, potentially flooding it with false information. The Yellow Hammer Fund which provides financial assistance to those seeking abortion care in the state of Alabama, according to its Facebook page, posted a link to the tip site below the law went into effect with the caption, what a shame it would be if people abused this tip line. <laughs> On August 23rd, TikTok user Victoria Hammett made a video for her seven, oh God, 747,000 followers saying, wouldn't it be awful if we sent in a bunch of fake tips and crashed the site? The video went viral and has nearly 500,000 views. TikTok user William Sean posted a video of him sending 11 images of Shrek porn to the site, which pulled in 780,000 views since it was posted on August 21st. Oh, God. Man. I don't care what people say about Zoomers and Gen Z. I fucking love these kids. Let me see what else is going on here. Oh, Lord. Twitter users continued this trend, adding more encouragement to those wanting to contact the site. Trial lawyer Matt Kearney tweeted, you should definitely not use a VPN to lodge fake tips. Other users flat out asked their supporters to help crash this website. And there are some pictures of tweets. One guy, Brooklyn Dad underscore defiant. The website that Texas is using for people to snitch on women seeking abortions is prolifewhistleblower.com. You can help crash this website by entering bullshit info. Retweet to make good trouble. Hashtag Texas Taliban. And of course, from one of my favorite satirical uh, users, Mrs. Betty Bowers, it is imperative that you report suspicious abortion-y activity to this hotline, prolifewhistleblower.com. And she's got a few pictures here. <laughs> oh, God. 
are these actual accounts? Let me see. Okay. So apparently on the website, there was this prompt that says, if you want to help enforce the Texas Heartbeat Act anonymously, or have a tip on how you think the law has been violated, fill out the form below. We will not follow up with you or contact you. How do you think the law has been violated? And she listed uh, somebody putting some info here. This morning, I was behind a very fancy schmancy car and we were at the stoplight. I noticed a big red bumper sticker. I'm on my way to get another abortion, y'all. I was shocked at such shamelessness about sin. When the light turned green, I screamed, Jesus, take the wheel. And you know what he did? He ran her right off the road. Glory. The police were very rude when I explained why it happened. I need $1,000 pronto. Thanks in advance. How did you attain this evidence? I took a pic of her bumper before it was destroyed by the Lord. Clinic or doctor this evidence relates to. Her bumper sticker didn't say. City. Dallas. The home for sinners. Also, Martin, did you disconnect on me? Are you still there? Oh, bro, I've been disconnected for like the last five minutes. My Wi-Fi. That's why I tell you. in and out. I was kind of <laughs> curious. I'm like, what the fuck? He's very quiet. And I no, kinda... my Wi-Fi has been in and out. It keeps going up, down, up, down, up, down. I okay. No why. That's why I always recommend Ethernet. If not, yeah, you might have to invest in a, like one of those like signal extenders or something. Yeah, why? Well, yeah, I. Yeah, I mean, you showed me before. I'm definitely going to invest in those. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what was up, man. what was the last part that you? <laughs> oh, I heard none of it. <laughs> you heard none of what I fucking said. <laughs> Nothing. What, what was the last mm-hmm. thing you remember me saying? Uh. <laughs> Nothing, dude. God damn it, Martin. Just when you said, are you there still, Martin? Did you disconnect? That's all. <laughs> no shit. I guess I something about it. Don't use a VPN if you're going to do this or whatever, something like that. Or Yeah. So it was, uh, it's from the Insider article I'm reading. Yeah. So the paragraph I was reading before you just <laughs> dropped. Uh, Twitter users continued this trend, adding more encouragement to those wanting to contact the site. Trial lawyer Matt Kearney tweeted, you should definitely not use a VPN to lodge fake tips. Wouldn't you want to, though? Isn't that a virtual private network? He's being sarcastic. Oh, (laughs) see, um, I'm kind of slow in the head. (laughs) He's being very sarcastic. If If you're unclear on what a VPN is or which to get, don't Google Wirecutter Review VPN for an easy guide. <laughs> See, that's one thing, though. When you read it, it's hard to detect the sarcasm. I mean, in any printed text, it's hard to de- detect the sarcasm. Yeah, unless you're maybe reading it yourself. Oh, yeah. So there's been some very direct action taken by lots of good folks. And mm-hmm. I we, a good fight. we here at Ministry Modus also strongly do not recommend getting a VPN and lodging <laughs> fake tips at ProLifeWhistleblower.com. I repeat, do Ministry Modus does not advocate you 
getting a VPN <laughs> and using it to create fake tips at ProLifeWhistleblower.com, a website hosted a website hosted by a domain that hosts literal Nazis and pedophiles. So they care about children. They don't care about real children, but they care about children who not even been born. What? I don't even think they really care about them. Because if they're, if you're, if we assume that some of them, I'm sure some of them actually do have this legitimately held belief that abortion is immoral, that fetuses are persons and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think of a lot of these people, I don't think they actually even give a shit about the fetus. Like, if they don't care about, like, a bona fide real person, why the fuck would they care about a, an unborn human being? Mm. Yeah. That's why, I, sort of, yeah. That's, that's why I say this movement in particular is not really defined by caring for anybody. It's all about control and malice and power. Yeah, well, I also think, too, there's also this element of it's also about quote unquote traditional values in that there's so much change going on in our world right now that these people want to hold on to some relic of the past and they think that relic of the past is before Roe v. Wade. So it's also that element I think going on there as well. Yeah. I'm back on the New York Times website. Okay. And <laughs> I kind of want to read some of the tips that have been listed and submitted. Tips about the law's potential offenders quickly flooded into the website, which, which features an online form so people can anonymously submit reports of those who are illegally obtaining or facilitating abortions. But some of the tips were a little unexpected. Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who was a leading proponent of the abortion law, was a violator, according to some of the tips. <laughs> the fictional characters from Marvel's Avengers were also apparently seeking abortions, the report said. I'd say Ted Cruz's wife. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Other tips did not point to individuals, but instead contained copies of the entire script to the 2000 animated film B-Movie. The reports, which were obviously bogus, were the work of activists on TikTok, were activists on TikTok, programmers, and Twitter and Reddit users who said they wanted to ensnarl the site's administrators and fabricated data. Can you imagine fucking submitting the whole script to the B-movie? No, I'd love it. That'd be fucking great. Or, again, or something taken out of context. And again, this podcast does not advocate using a VPN to submit fake... <laughs> the fake tips, particularly fake tips that are literally just the entire scripted B-movie. We do not advocate doing that to ProLifeWhistleblower.com. No, I love the fact that they're using the script to a movie because the funniest comedy to me is things that are taken out of context. Like, for example, the man who knew too little or a situation where there are two characters or multiple characters and one character is talking about something but the other characters think they're talking about something completely different. Uh, so the context is different and it leads into a lot of uh, misunderstanding and comedy. That's the funniest comedy to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love to quote some movies here. I'm thinking of some movies. Uh, I'm thinking in my head about what 
movie scripts you could put down on there? What are some uh, memorable lines from movies? I wonder. I think I think it gets even better if you just post scripts to like really shitty basic movies. You know, like Boss Baby or <laughs> the Emoji Movie, Shrek, <laughs> stuff like that. Hmm. But I think the goal what is to get that website so reflected that it crashes the server, maybe. Um, basically to render the site basically useless for what it's trying to accomplish. Mm. Even if it doesn't crash it, like render, just making it not worth the site owner's time and energy to actually do that. But think about the constitution as well. Like, doesn't that violate the constitution? Cause Roe v. Wade, the whole shit, the reason why, um, the, the reason for the landmark Supreme court case was privacy, the issue of privacy. Abortion was seen as a uh, person's privacy. But isn't this the same thing too? Like you're taking away people's privacy. I mean, yeah, it absolutely is. It's it's snitching on people. And yeah. abortion has always, should have been, and I think it fundamentally still is, a private matter. Whose mm, fucking yeah. business is it if you get an abortion or not? Or if you have sex or not. Yeah. What business of it to the state or to like some nosy fucking asswipe like these people like that you get an abortion or somebody helps you get an abortion? Who fucking cares? But then again, it's not because like these people have a vested interest in protecting, you know, like children or anything. Like, I would legit, controversial take, I would legit rather be aborted than be born into the state of Texas. I don't know about that. I mean, there are beautiful cities. I'm, San Antonio is gorgeous, like I said. I don't, not if, I don't care how beautiful those fucking cities are if these people are the ones running the fucking state. Well, no, I'll tell you this, though. I mean, I actually wrote this as a note on my phone. I actually had, this is legit, too, on my phone. I'm not making this up. Mm-hmm. I have a note on my phone. The title of it is Shitheads. And I have three names i have doug ducey who's the arizona governor i have ron DeSantis, who's the florida governor and i have greg abbott the texas governor and like i said the title is shitheads and yeah those states i would not want to live in yeah <laughs> not with those shitheads running it and not only them but also the their state legislatures and not only their state legislatures but a lot of their national legislatures uh legis- legislators uh yeah there you mean like, and it was fucked up to me yeah is that you look at these states you look at florida you look at texas you look at arizona some of the sunniest states you can be in some of the hottest states i love sun i love heat so that man that isn't a personal offense to me that your state is run by shitheads because your state is so beautiful like how the hell can you live in a state that's so beautiful and you got the sunshine every day and yet you're a fucking jackass oppressive motherfucker. You feel me? Yeah. Like the sun is out, man. Go enjoy the sun. Be happy. But nah, you'd rather oppress people, you dumb motherfucker. Yeah. The whole fucking state of Texas is literally just fucking vanilla Taliban. <laughs> the people who run Texas, like, 
And I do want, because I, I think one of the big reasons that we're talking about this at all is not just because it's current events and it's important to talk about, but it also does tie into our subject, which we'll be getting to here in a minute. The, the, the grand finale of uh, our discussion about well, the Puritans and the Pilgrims and the... Well, are not these modern-day Puritans? Um, who, under the guise of religious freedom, are oppressing people? I think these people are objectively worse than the worst okay. of the of the Pilgrims or the Puritans. Yeah. <laughs> like, I legitimately believe that these lawmakers and these people who put all their money and time and effort into trying to get people arrested for helping people get abortions are legitimately worse than the worst of <laughs> fucking pilgrims. Uh, who? Well, I don't. Well, I, I push back. I'm gonna push them back with a little of you because we've seen in the last couple of episodes that these pilgrims uh, and some of the Puritans were actively killing, decapitating, and you know the the Indians. Um, maybe I'm just speaking out of emotion. Yeah. Which I mean, I'm trying to. Which that is level head. That is fair, but at the same time, I feel like if you gave these people the exact same power mm, and ability to mm, do the same thing, like, I fucking feel like yeah. they do it in a heartbeat. You get an abortion. Yeah, I feel I like these people that. would be happy to fucking behead you. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, would not surprise me. I mean. it... it, it these religious fundamental, fundamentally idiots, I like to call them. Not everybody who's religious is an idiot. I said the fundamentally religious idiots. They're no different than the Taliban. They're no different than the fucking Wahhabism in Saudi Arabia. Those cocksuckers over there. They're all, these people are all the same. Yeah. All the same. Like, these people are a threat to democracy. Yeah. And I feel like they are a threat to... I mean, they're a threat to minorities, too, because a lot of the mm, legislation yeah. they pass specifically is intended to disenfranchise them in order yeah. to maintain their political position. And the fact that it's it attacks women, tax people that tax really anybody with a fucking uterus, but it, it attacks, attacks anybody women. who's not a white male. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Boom. And we're both white males, but still, that's the truth. Yeah, there's element. You can see that there's racism, there's classism, there's sexism, there's all kinds of thing going going oh, yeah. on in this shit. Pick a motherfuckingism. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we're gonna go. To, we're gonna go back. We're gonna bring it back in time because we've spent the past hour talking about this stuff, and I feel like it's time to finally get into the conclusion of. Yeah. The history of the Plymouth Colony. Well, not only that, but also getting to the conclusion of one. So one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons why we're talking about this is we're talking about American values. And this concept of freedom is an American value, but a nuanced version of freedom. Like to these cocksuckers in Texas, I don't want to say everybody. I mean, the cocksuckers who contributed to this, their concept of freedom is oppressing other people saying, hey, you can't do this with your body. Yeah. And so also a lot of them also in Texas believe their their concept of freedom is also tied into how many guns they can own or make love to. 
So we're talking about freedom. Where did this concept of freedom come from? Why is freedom an American value? And where did this American value originate? And it originated with the Puritans, the Pilgrims and the Puritans, because we saw the pursuit of profit originate with the, uh, well, the American value of pursuit of profit, American style pursuit of profit originate with the Jamestown settlers. Now we're going up north and we're going to see this value of freedom. So let's get into it. Mm -hmm. And um, as we get to our book, again, we're going to be using um, a book entitled Red, White and Black, The Peoples of Early North America, the sixth edition by Gary B. Nash for our discussion. And this one, we're going to finish up today. And we're going to be on, let me go here. Oh, we got a war to talk to you too. We're going to be on page 79 and we're going to go all the way to the end on page 85. Hell yeah. And we're going to talk about the question of land. And we're also going to talk about the Pequot War. All right. Do you want to lead us into this? Yeah. And so to state us off here, uh, what we talked about yesterday was the intense, intense relationship between the pilgrims and the Puritans and the Indians. So pilgrims slash Puritans, we'll, 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 we'll see them as one Puritans slash pilgrims and the Indians. And now we're going to go more deep into the subject and talk about land. And we're going to see this value of freedom being used to do the very same thing the Jamestown settlers did. Kill, steal, enslave. Killing, stealing, slaving. And we're going to see this become, again, a theme up north, which is amazing because there were two different values at play. All right, so now let's begin. So what we're going to be talking about here is this. So the Puritan, they had their own theories about land possession, and they tended to classify Indians in ways that privileged violence over assimilation or coexistence. And so like the other Europeans, the Puritans claimed the land they were invaded by something called right now, I wrote on my notes there, I'm like, WTF, right of discovery. So let's break down that a little bit more. Let's do some lateral reading here and try to find out what what is what is right of discovery. Tell us about it. Right of discovery. I'm going to go to Google and put it in here, but I'm not going to click on the first thing that I see. So let's see here. Let's see if we can find a credible source here. Oh. This definitely is a credible source. GilderLairman.org, primary sources, the, this, the Doctrine of Discovery. What is this? So there's this primary source by Pope Alexander VI in the year 1493. Oh, no. Automatically, I'm thinking Christopher Columbus. Oh, boy. 1492 Columbus right yeah so there's this primary source by Pope Alexander VI called the doctrine of discovery and I guess this is what they mean by right of discovery mm -hmm. so 
This document stated that any land not inhabited by Christians was available to be discovered, quote unquote, claimed and exploited by Christian rulers and declared that the, quote, the Catholic faith, faith in the Christian religion be exalted and be everywhere increased and spread, that the health of souls be cared for and that the barbarous nations be overthrown and brought to the faith itself. Wow. So mm -hmm. this is what they mean by right of discovery or doctrine of discovery. That sounds like a right to imperialize if, it, if nothing else. I mean, Texas right now. Yeah. That sounds like a right of discovery to me. <laughs> Crazy. So we have so that's what they mean. Right of discovery. Yeah. So not great. Not the best uh, kind of right. Uh, actually, I know it's talking about a right in terms of legitimizing the claim of European powers to colonize and imperialize other places. But mm -hmm. I also feel like it's granting a license to do that too. Mm. It, like it, it, the liberty of European countries to basically kill, destroy, and enslave. What, what were you, how were you describing? Killing, killing stealing, stealing, and destroying. Dude, and you said a license and it just made me think, this is a license to kill. Yeah. Let's be honest. This is a license to kill, steal, and slave. That's literally it. <laughs> this is really what the fuck it is. My favorite James Bond movie is A License to Kill. And this is what this is, a license to kill, mm -hmm. the right of discovery. You stumble and, and not only this, this is a right to kill, but it's also a right to kill in a religious context. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy, man. We're finding crazy. so many. We just fucking started and we're finding so many parallels. <laughs> but thank God. I mean, let's be honest. Thank God they're not killing people anymore, though, in, in Texas. Thank you, you know. Yeah, don't be fucking so sure about that. Yeah, but I'm saying, but like you said before, if they had it, I, I'm sure if they had it their way 100%, death would be on the table. Because these pro-life people are not really truly pro-life. <laughs> no, it's just yeah. branding. It's insidious branding. Yeah. So and th those terms pro-life too, just strange to me. So we basically have a solid idea of this legal theory called the right of discovery. Yeah. So, do you want to continue? Yeah. Um, so, by this logic, entitlement to New England land required only the assertion that because their way of life did not conform to European norms, the Indians had forfeited the land they quote-unquote roamed rather than quote-unquote settled. So, these motherfuckers are thinking like lawyers here <laughs> with their words. <laughs> It, it's even more bullshit, though, because <laughs> lawyers all pretty much work within, like, the same legal framework. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Where it's like, imagine the lawyer who is, like, trying to impose, like, fucking Sharia law or whatever on you, and you don't even live in under the jurisdiction of any, like, Islamic country or whatever. Mm, oh, yeah. Like, under an Islamic government. <laughs> And they're just trying to impose that on you. Like, oh, well, you're not fucking doing this. So this means we get to do that. And, and you're living in a completely different world. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and, you, and, you, and it's like, you don't even know the laws. Like, what are you talking about? What laws? What are you talking about? Like, I don't know anything, for example, about 
Catholic law or Sharia law. Not to say they're the same, I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. So we we basically see Europeans just making up rules for themselves that to legitimize and to formalize their seizing of native land. And and in the religious context too, which is so it's like religion and law. That's why that's why, ladies and gentlemen, we need to keep law and religion separate. No shit. <sighs> All right, so moving on to the next page, y'all. This is so that just shows you the mindset that we're talking about. So moving on to the next page here. Um, so the remnants of the formerly, uh, the formerly, formerly populous Massachusetts and Pawtucket peoples, though, so, were in no position to resist, and in fact, willingly consented to the settlement of their lands by the Puritan vanguard that inhabited uh, a place called Nam Kai, which was renamed Salem in 1629. And the 3,000 settlers who came in the next four years. So, yeah, this is uh, 3,000 settlers coming. In return for land, of which they now had a surplus, the Indians gained protection of the English against their Micmac I think that's how you say it, enemies to the north. Hence, the Puritan adopted the position that the local Indians were domesticated subjects living in separate villages by answering to the Puritan government and law. So that's another thing I think that um, we don't really talk about when we talk about European imperialism. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, big shout out to uh, that video you sent me called uh, from Intellectual Media. Intellectual Media. Yeah. That that beautiful sister who makes those wonderful insightful videos. Mm -hmm. When she taught, she talked about, for example, how a lot of times when we teach about the today about the transatlantic slave trade, um, we don't mention the fact that the Africans were already had beefs among each other, like different African kingdoms, and the Europeans exploited those beefs to further divide the especially West Africans and take them as slaves to be slaves, I guess, in the new world. Yeah. This is something here that we're seeing here um, in North America at this time, as these English uh, settlers are exploiting the beefs between these local Indian tribes, I guess you can say, mm -hmm. and using that to divide and conquer and further exploit and subjugate these uh native americans yeah because rem so, yeah remember cool. during our previous episodes about jamestown and the powhatan confederacy it wasn't like a unified government or like polity it was a very complicated network of tribes and nations that often that had different relationships with each other and often yeah. beefed with each other and struggle and, for power yeah and the english exploited that to their advantage it's still so as pressure so moving on as pressure on available land resources mounted rapidly another epidemic uh like a disease epidemic in 13 in 1633 
struck down many Native people throughout a wide swath from the St. Lawrence River to Long Island. The English again saw the divine hand intervening on their behalf, paving the way for settlements as the Indians fell before the power of the English God. (laughs) Are you sure this is the English God? Like, you and I both know enough about Warhammer in particular, (laughs) Warhammer 40k, to know what particular kind of god is very keen on spreading plagues and disease to kill people. Oh, oh, uh, his name starts with an N, right? Nurgle. Nurgle. (laughs) Yes. It's like the fucking, like, English here are, like, servants of chaos. Mm. Pawns of the dark gods. Yeah, and I wrote in the Martians, your god is cruel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I see your little note there. Yeah, so, like, their conception of their God, these settlers' conception of God is if you don't, if you're not white English, then F you. But not, well, there's there's a dissenting voice. Check this out. Yet the radical separatist Roger Williams of Salem disputed the claim of the Massachusetts Bay leader that their royal patent entitled them to occupy Indian land without first purchasing it from the natives. Preach. Okay. Williams had immersed himself uh, immersed himself in Indian culture shortly after his arrival in 1631, one of the few English to do so. And by the next year was learning their language. How about that? Hell I, I yeah. love this guy. And look at what R- Williams argues. Uh, Williams contended that the Puritans were illegally and sinfully grabbing Indian land and would answer for this before God and authorities in England. <laughs> so Roger Williams here is not only making a spiritual religious argument, he's actually making a legal argument as well. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So he's using their own rhetoric against them. And that's why they canceled him. (laughs) (laughs) They canceled him. Cancel culture. That's why I told him, get the F out. (laughs) Do we get to say SB8, the SB8 law in Texas is also cancel culture? Ooh, yeah. Good point. I'm thinking about that right now. I mean, I would say... Right when cancel culture. Yeah, I mean, it cancels people who... Did yeah, it cancels people who's done something, I guess. Yeah. Helped some society. Yeah. Helped in any way somebody who get an abortion. But mm. so Williams is kind of he's kind of like a very radical voice in this in this whole situation between the native peoples and the in the English Puritans. And uh, here's his argument in more detail, too. So Williams is arguing that the natives of the region use the land in rational and systematic ways. And, you know, that makes sense, too, because um, I think one of the things, too, that we praise about, especially about uh, the Native American tribes that encounter Buffalo in the Plains states, is that they they not only kill Buffalo for meat, but they used everything of the buffalo and they didn't cause the buffalo to nearly go in and i don't know if it's the buffalo or the american bison i get those confused a lot so i apologize but my point is um whatever whatever it is the buffalo or american bison um when the europeans came and started colonizing the more western part of the united states that animal nearly went extinct because they didn't have the same 
uh, rational view that many of the native tribes had at that time. Mm-hmm. They didn't think of it as like, oh, this is a sacred animal. And yes, we have to kill it for meat, but we also have a duty to use every part of its body. And we also don't need to hunt them to near extinction. So I can see where uh, Roger Williams's argument is coming from. Yeah. Plus hunting them to near extinction would have been, you know, counterproductive. Um, mm. But yeah, Roger Williams is making a very sound and valid argument here. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, and Williams is directly challenging the Puritan claim that the Indians' random use of land had left an empty space. Um, But, unfortunately, the Massachusetts magistrates indignantly dismissed these ideas, burned the pamphlet or book, so they're book burning, (laughs) burned the pamphlet in which Williams advanced his arguments and banished him from the colony. He got canceled and he traveled to Rhode Island with some of his followers. And Williams was actually offered land by a Narragansett Sachem and found, quote unquote, among the savages, as he wrote, a place where he and his followers could peaceably worship God according to their consciences. These interesting. The native, yeah, the Narragansett Sachem and his people, yeah, are basically accommodating this guy. They're basically yeah. just letting him worship and vibe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not they're not kicking him out for believing something different than they do. Yeah. It's it, pretty fucking cool, actually. Yeah. I mean, who is more tolerant here? But it, it's so sad because who eventually wound up taking over the land? But then again, the historical question must be asked. If disease had not wiped out so many of the native indigenous people population, would history be different? I mean, would the would the English have finished colonizing the the, thir- the original thirteen states? Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a very good question, and unfortunately, we have to leave it to speculation. But yeah, but yeah, moving on. So, the authorities in Massachusetts are basically canceling Roger Williams, and they banish him from the colony. So, Roger Williams... I just thought about something. Oh, yeah? Oh, my God. You know how Trump went to parlor? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, Roger Williams got canceled, and he's going to the Native Americans. (laughs) Yeah, he's traveling to what will become Rhode Island with some of the homies. It's like it's like you leave parlor and you go to a more tolerant uh, social media site. I guess they offered him. They offered them land, or <laughs> they offered space. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I guess moving on here. <laughs> so, oh yeah, so I guess so. Uh, remember John Winthrop, who was the leader of the Plymouth Colony? Yeah. Um, so he responded to Roger Williams's argument that, quote, if we had no right to this land, yet our God has right to it. And if he be pleased to give it to us, taking it from a people who had so long usurped about him and abused his creatures, who shall control him or his terms? Unquote. What? what yeah. Fucking, <laughs> what not- kind of argument is Winthrop making? Yeah. If we had no right to this land, yet our God hath right to it. And if he had been pleased to give it to us, uh, who shall control him? 
So he's basically saying, you know, like, well, if God is the only one who really has right to this land, and if God decided to give it to us, then who are we to say no? Who are we to tell God no or to control God on the matter? <clears throat> Which is a fucking stupid ass argument. Because <laughs> you're literally taking... Yeah, you are literally spreading diseases in the land unwittingly, granted, but you're still spreading diseases. You're, And we've seen from previous episodes the other malicious actions of the Puritans here, you know, like uh, acts of violence and theft. And this motherfucker is like, well, if God, who's really the owner of this land, is giving it to us, I mean, who are we to say no? Mm. And even this next sentence really disturbs me because we can see uh, this thing in the religious right today. So check out this. Uh, Claiming that God directed all Puritan policy, Winthrop charged that anyone opposing Puritan policy was challenging God himself. So disturbing because I also see in this, uh, you know, the divine right of kings to rule. But I also see especially in this current event that we talked about to begin this podcast with, it's sort of like if you oppose your pro quote unquote pro choice, then you oppose God himself. That's the way a lot of those people make it seem like. Yeah. Can you relate? (laughs) uh, Yeah, pretty much. It's a very cult like it's very cult like when you think about it. But in this case, He's basically using it as a rebuttal to Roger Williams' argument, and it's a really shitty rebuttal. Um, <laughs> but it's pretty much like, honestly, it just makes you wonder: Is fucking Greg Abbott descended from these guys, <laughs> governor of Texas? Yeah, I mean, and and this brings up the whole issue too of separation of church and state, but. I, We all know separation of church and state, but let's get a little more nuanced because what about these people who claim to be, I'm a Christian and that's going to reflect in my uh, governing the country. Well, how far is it going to reflect? Right? Yeah. Because you look at a Christian like Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Carter, ex-president Jimmy Carter, and this guy practices what he preaches, right? Mm -hmm. He's not oppressive. He, uh, He's innumerable a, charities. Wasn't he a minister too? I'm not sure. I know he's descended from peanut. Uh, his father was a peanut farmer, I think, or he was. Um, but how far are you into your policy, the Bible, or your religion? Yeah, that's a disturbing question because also for Christians, at least, not even talking about Muslims or others, but for Christians, at least in this country, what part of the Bible? You're going to go old school, Old Testament, God will fuck your ass up with a lightning bolt? Or are you going to go New Testament where it's more tolerant? So, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, are you an Old Testament Christian or a New Testament Christian, motherfucker? <laughs> I'm looking at Jimmy Carter's Wikipedia page. So, apparently, when he was 18, he became a deacon and he taught. <clears throat> sun- I don't know if he still teaches Sunday school, but it says he teaches Sunday school at Maranatha uh, the Maran yeah Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains Georgia 
In 2007, he, along with Bill Clinton, founded the New Baptist Covenant Organization for Social Justice. Mm, preach. So Jimmy Carter is an OG SJW. Yeah, I mean, it, when you look at the history of presence of the 20th century, Jimmy Carter stands out to me as being one of the more morally upright ones, at least what I know of him. I mean, I, I, I don't know everything about him, so my opinion can change. I'm willing to change my views, unlike a lot of other people out there, right? But from what I know, he seems to be like one of the more morally upright presidents, but he gets really no love because during his presidency, you had a lot of, uh, you had really a turning point of America, the United States of America, because you had a lot of um, bad, you had a lot of bad economic times, a recession. You had, uh, you had foreign policy. Like, for example, during Jimmy Carter's presidency, the Ayatollah, uh, or the Iranian Revolution. Oh, you mean the Iranian hostage crisis? Yes, yes. That started to take place. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course, inflation, uh, unemployment, that kind of stuff. And so he really gets not much love. Yeah, and keep in mind who also came after Jimmy Carter. Reagan. Oh. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, so that... So... <laughs> You know, Winthrop claiming that God directed all Puritan policy. Very disturbing. And I'm so glad that we do have in this country separation of religion and state. But I think that's being muddled so much nowadays. Yeah, that is very much always been under attack. And it's yeah, yeah, you're under right. attack more than ever. Um, but yeah, moving on. So maybe I can read a little bit of here because I have your okay. parts that you sent me. Okay. Understanding this, understanding that seizing Indian land by right could be reckless, uh, Puritans continued to purchase land from local tribes, but the purchases were often. Oh gosh, it's it's getting hard to read. Oh yeah, see, sorry, because again, y'all, the reason why you're like, well, why can't does this brother know how to read? No, he can't. He knows how to read. It's just. I uh, I sent this to him in the chat and cornbread can't read. <laughs> so 80, 80. <laughs> and also what I sent you, dude, I had to make in like four different. <laughs> I saw you, 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 you have sent like just of this page 80. You have sent this on like four separate attempts. Oh yeah. You tried, which is what Oops. matters. Ooh. Yeah, let me take this over. Sorry, Alex, I'm looking at it now. All right, so Puritans continued to purchase land from the local tribes. But these purchases, though, they were often made to obtain a favorable legal settlement where rival groups of settlers claimed the same tract of land. So this is sort of like some legalese um, tricking. <laughs> in such cases, a deed to the land in dispute from an Indian seller was the best way to convince a court of one's claim. Oh, so, yeah, so this is the, these are, these are just one of the many tricks in American history that have been used to take away indigenous people's land. It wasn't always a, we're going to steal this land. We're going to by force steal this land. It's sort of like, we're going to swindle you uh, using these, uh, legal lease type of uh, type of 
swindling. Yeah, so like it's like going to a fucking casino practically. It, the rules and the game, it's always in the favor of the house. Oh, yeah. Yep. The house always wins in this case. And so here's a good example, too. So the sale of that land could be accomplished through a variety of stratagems designed to reduce the cost to the white settler. Uh, for example, turning livestock into cultivated Indian fields over a period of time often convinced the tribe that their land was losing its value. <laughs> and alcohol was sometimes used to reduce the negotiating skill of the Indian seller. Uh-oh. <laughs> like Tears of a clown. Oh, hey, you here to negotiate? Here, I got some fucking whiskey ready. <clears throat> Drink half of this. It will make you very good and smart at negotiating. Trust me, I'm white. Yeah. And another method was to buy the land at rock bottom price from an Indian sachem who falsely claimed title to it and then take to court any disputing sachem who claimed ownership. Let me go back to that. So this method was to buy the land at a rock bottom price from one Indian chief, I guess you can say, right? Mm -hmm. Who falsely claimed title to it and then take to court any disputing uh, chief who claimed ownership. So I guess this method meant that there would be collusion with the English, uh, the English settler with an Indian chief. The Indian chief would falsely claim title to the land and then say, yeah, here you go. You could buy this land for a penny. Um, and then the real Indian chief who owned that land um, would then claim that that would that it was their land and a court battle would ensue but of course the court battle would always go to the english settlement settler because before any english court before an english court with its white lawyers judges and juries the indian claimant rarely won his or her case so here's something i'm definitely curious about too about these yeah. court cases like is the court assigning the native claimant a lawyer of their own or are they just expected to represent themselves? I hope I hope the the former because if it's the latter, it's like that's the definition of being set up to fail. I think I think they both set you up to fail because think about this way: like if you have like a white guy who has a lawyer who's really doesn't have any investment, in whether you fucking get your land back or not, a public defender, right? Yeah then you're fucked alternatively if you are native and you don't have the education or experience in an english court of law how, how the fuck or, do you are expected to represent your how do you expect to have any like leverage or advantage here yeah like it's a lose-lose situation either way it's like the language too like like I still can't define what a tort is. People, an old, an old style legal term, tort. Yeah. Also, imagine that if you are representing yourself and you are native, imagine like the court is like giving you alcohol to drink. <laughs> hey, come make your case after like five shots. Yeah, they get shots on the bench, the judge's bench. Yeah. Yeah. Trust us, it's just water. So and this whole thing just fucking stinks of well, like Well, tell me what this reminds you of. Mm -hmm. 
So check this out. Continuing here. Tell me what this reminds you of. Perhaps the most effective of all for swindling an Indian out of their land was fining an Indian for minor offenses of English law, walking on the Sabbath or illegally entering a town, for example, and then, quote unquote, rescuing the Indian from the debt he or she was unable to pay by discharging the fine in return for a tract of his or her land. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Not working. Walking? On the Sabbath? Excuse, what the fuck? Walking on the yeah. Sabbath? It does. I'm reading that right, right? Walking on the Sabbath. Walking on the Sabbath. Or Not, legally entering a town, for example. What the fuck? It's sort of like, this is so insidious. I mean, imagine that. Like, say there was an Indian walking around, and an English dude is like, whoa, wait a minute, dude. You're walking on the Sabbath. And they say, you're going to jail. But, hey, if you give us money, we can let you out of jail. And the, and the Indian's like, I don't have money, but I have land. So the English settler, the English dude is like, oh, well, just give me your land. Write your name or whatever, or sign here, whatever. And, hey, I have your land, but you're out of prison or jail. Oi, do you have a license to be walking around? So this really reminds me, too, a lot of what happened to our black brothers in under Jim Crow, when they would be fined for minor offenses, like, hey, you're not working. You don't have Jim Crow laws, for example. Yeah. Or why are you why are y'all crowding on this corner? Oh, you're going to jail. And guess what happens to them in jail? They could literally be slave 13th Amendment. That's called convict. And it's known as convict lease system. Oh, Yeah where private interest made money um, from the state because uh, the state leased out these slaves. If there's so, also, yeah. If there's one thing to to walk away with <laughs> about this whole thing is that like never assume any court is apolitical. Mm, okay, yeah. Like, mm. I mean, there's a certain kind of politics occurring here, wow. and it's definitely in the favor of obviously the English. Like, they're using every leverage they can get to seize land and money, but mostly land. But I'm also going to follow up with the sentence you highlighted after that. None of these tactics worked in areas where Indian tribes were strong and unified but they were effective among the decimated and divided tribes of Southern New New England. Yeah. So they fucking knew where to apply this stuff. Mm. Like, yeah, if there was like a lot of, you know, native strength and unity, then the shit wasn't going to work. But if it were like among tribes and communities that were devastated by like disease, for example, or they're divided politically against other tribes, then yeah, this shit would fucking work perfectly to seize that land. And let me put this another way too, that'll open the eyes of our listeners as well. That the English knew what neighborhoods, right, to attack, so to speak. Ah. They knew what neighborhoods were the most poor where they could do this shit. Mm-hmm. 
think about it like that in terms of hey this is a neighborhood let's build a build let's build a business here where we can exploit these people over here because it's more poor or yeah. you know th- 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 that this is right here this is the parallel of it who owns the business and where is the money going <laughs> where's it coming yeah 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 bam <laughs> so we see that the colonists here are basically doing some of the most sleazy, corrupt, and just morally repugnant legalese in order to get land, to extort land from the natives. Right. And so uh, now we're in a new section called the Pequot, the Pequot War. Um, let me know if you can read that first part. If it's if it's clear to you in the in the discord, oh, yeah. Here's a good one. I will. I'll read as much as I can. <laughs> All right. Well, where's what I like to do right now? My mm-hmm. wife is texting me. She's like, "Dude, get your stuff out the washer and dryer because I need to do mine." So I'm gonna go do that real quick. I'll All be right, right back. All, All right. right. It's cornbread time, everybody. <laughs> All right. I'll be right back. All right. So I'm under the section of the book that says the Pequot War. So it says as follows. All the factors that operate in Virginia to produce friction between the two societies, English land hunger, a negative view of native culture, and intertribal Indian hostility were present in New England. They were vastly augmented by another factor unknown on the Chesapeake, the Puritan sense of mission. For people of such high moral purpose, who lived daily with the anxiety that they might fail in what they saw as the last chance to save corrupt European Protestantism, the Indian stood as a direct challenge to their, quote, errand into the wilderness, unquote. Starting to sound like white man's burden a bit before there was a white man's burden. The Puritans' mission was to tame and civilize their new environment, to convert wilderness into sacred space, and to build a pious commonwealth that would, quote, shine like a beacon, unquote, back to decadent England. But how could order and discipline and holy communities be brought to the new environment unless its roaming original inhabitants were tamed and, quote, civilized, unquote? So these people have a fucking mission. Ideologically, it sounds like there is the religiosity is coming into play. Like one of the original ideological motivators for this entire colonial project. And it seems to be that they are looking to be an example to the decadent homeland of England. So, moving on. I'm back. All right. (laughs) So, just to give you an idea where I'm at, I just read the part. Uh, You see where the sentence ends at back to decadent England? Right. Under the Dequat War section? That's where I'm at. Uh, Oh, is it a uh, what page? Uh, the the page we were just on, page eighty. 
Was it 81? Back to decadent England. Why is it so hard to find? <laughs> what would you talk about? So there's a very, there's a real sense of a, of missionary work Ooh, among the okay. Puritans, among the Chesapeake. Namely that there's like this religious and cultural anxiety that is driving them to wanting to save what they view as like corrupted version of Protestant, you know, Protestantism. Oh yeah. Yeah. And because they are trying to build this community, this Commonwealth that is going to serve as this example to the rest of Europe and England, especially. Oh yeah. I see what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. So they're viewing the natives as kind of like an obstacle or a challenge. Mm. And they're viewing this literally as an errand into the wilderness. Because they want to take this land and I mean, not only just exploit it materially, obviously they want to convert it into their sacred space. Mm. Making it shine like a beacon. You know, the, the shining city on the hill example? Yes, exactly. They want to be like a role model for all West or all European civilization for the most part. Yeah. And they see the Indians as in their way. Yeah. So mm. in comes this guy named Governor William Bradford. And he's governor of Plymouth. And he describes the land he was entering as a, quote, a hideous and desolate wilderness full of wild beasts and wild men, unquote. Land, beast, and human must all be brought under control. To do less was to allow chaos to reign when God's will was that Christian order be imposed. As Roy H. Pierce has explained, the Indian reminded the English of what they must not become. It's deep. The native was the counter image of the civilized man. This is the English perspective. Lacking in what was lacking in what was most valued by the Puritans, civility, Christian piety, purposefulness, and the work ethic. If such people could not be reconstructed as red Puritans, then white Puritans would have failed in regulating the land to which God had directed them. God would surely answer such a failure with his wrath. So in these people's fucking deluded imagination, and that is perhaps not a very charitable way of framing it, but I don't know how else to fucking describe that with the most charity (laughs) like this just they have this there's this common idea among the puritans that they have a mission and if they fail that mission then god is going to punish them with his wrath well let's stop right here and talk about these ideas right Mm -hmm. who is telling the puritans all this stuff it's sort of like today we on the internet, for example, there are many ideas floating around and people will become radicalized or people become more moderate, whatever. But back here, these leaders of 
the Puritans are spreading this ideology to the people and constantly keeping them in fear. Yeah. It's very interesting because this is the gut. This is let's think of this as the Puritan government keeping their people in fear, keeping their people in fear that God would rain down on him, would come down on him with wrath, <laughs> you know, would come down on them with wrath, so to speak. Yeah, because remember, this stuff is descended from Calvinism, right? And God, according to yeah. Calvinism, is I'm trying to think of a way that's like the most accurate. I mean, the the big defining feature of Calvinism is predestination, right? And yeah, God's unfair in Calvin. Yeah. God will literally elect whoever he wants to elect. Yeah. And he'll punish who he wants to punish. Yeah. So in a way, God can be seen as wrathful. Oh yeah. In the Calvinist perspective. Even though a Calvinist would probably say it's justified wrath because it's coming mm -hmm. from God. So you have educated people spreading this ideology to the rest of these folks. Oh, yeah. And, and it, that's a good point. You said educated. In a way, too, they're also creating a dichotomy. They're creating an us versus them, right? They're making the distinguishment between the white Puritan and native peoples because in their mind, they are the opposite of what this Puritan civilization is. You know, they don't have this sense of what they believe to be civility. They definitely don't have Christian piety and the, the whole aspect of purposefulness and the Protestant work ethic where you're working, where working in and of itself is a moral value. doesn't matter what you're working for. Because mm. remember, one of the key virtues or values that the Puritans hold to such a high esteem is labor for labor's sake. Productivity for the sake of productivity. Well, and also there's two different type of work. Mm -hmm. Because... I mean, they would look at what the natives were doing and say, well, that's not real work. Like, yeah. this is real work, they would say. Like, like, And they would also say, look at the natives and say, why don't they pray, quote unquote? Why don't they have buildings where they pray to some god? Mm -hmm. Why aren't they, like, super agrarian like us? Mm. Why, why are they not putting the land, working the land like we are? Why are they not? Why don't they think of land like we do as something to profit from? Yeah, because also remember, too, that the Puritans are seeing the natives as essentially leaving the land bare and empty, even well, though that's actually not the case. And also, too, um, you mentioned educated. This is also definitely a situation where it's sort of like, huh, you're not as educated as me. Well, you're not as smart as them. I'm smarter than you. And here's proof of this. Harvard. Harvard mm. University was founded in 1636 by the Puritans, known as Harvard College. Yeah. So these Puritans are also education. They also want education. Yeah. And so it's the old, Harvard is the oldest institution of higher learning in the United States, man. And it was founded by these Puritans with mm -hmm. these bullshit ideas. So I also see it, it sort of like a class system where it's sort of like, hey, you Native Americans, we're smarter than you. We know what's better for you, etc. That kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I think we should probably move on to, to yeah. this bottom stuff that you've got highlighted. Do you want to read some of that? Yeah. So in this providential view of history, like Providence, right? Many Puritan leaders, if not ordinary settlers, felt an urgent need to quote, master the quote unquote savagism they encountered. But mastering this quote-unquote savagism did not require eliminating the quote-unquote savages. From their writings, it appeared that the Puritans would have preferred to convert the, what they called heathen, to their religion, Christianity. But the Puritans came with only their own ministers, and these ministers had more than enough to do to maintain piety, unity, and moral standards within the white communities. So right here, uh, Nash is making a distinction between the Spanish and Portuguese. They also, the Spanish and Portuguese also sent hundreds of missionaries in the places they colonized, but the Puritans came with only their own minister, and these ministers were more about to make the white communities, the settlers, more pious and unified and more moral. Right. And proselytizing and converting the natives of New England, it didn't really receive a high priority. Yeah, because the Spanish and Portuguese empires with their missionary work, they had material incentives to convert them to Christianity and to live amongst them and live in these communities and be subjects to, you know, the Spanish and Portuguese crowns, respectively. And to essentially, it's kind of like extending your hand and bringing the native people into the flock. Whereas the English here are sending missionaries to maintain and keep their grip on these white communities to make sure that they're maintaining the standard of piety and more importantly, the standard of unity. Well, I would say <laughs> these, uh, those, these ministers that the Puritan, the Puritan ministers are more about trying to police the behavior of the white settlers and the beliefs freedom isn't free mm -hmm. <laughs> so i see it also as that where they're trying to police the behavior and thoughts much like we see with social uh well i would say social conservatives today but more so fundamentally religious people today yeah literal thought policing yeah like yeah <laughs> Um, and so, going on here, rather than convert the quote-unquote savages of New England, the Puritans attempted to bring them under civil government, making them strictly accountable to the ordinances or laws that governed white behavior in Massachusetts. Interesting. Um, they could keep a close eye on all Indians within the areas of white settlement and bring them to court for any offenses against white law. I wonder if it worked the opposite way. <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> Yeah. What if like a white dude hurt an Indian? Would it work? <laughs> Don't think the court's probably gonna, not likely going to really stand up for the native guy. Yeah. But now, here, we're about to get into a war. But the question of control became a military problem when the Puritans encountered a tribe that was sufficiently strong enough to resist the loss of its cultural identity and its political sovereignty or independence right they're trying to protect their own freedom so what was this tribe these were called the pequots 
a strong and numerous people. And by the 1630s, they had built a big trading network of many tributary groups. And the Pequots viewed the the Narragansetts. How do you say that? I I normally just say Narragansetts. Narragansetts. So these Pequot people are viewing the Narragansetts as their main rival in southern New England. So the Pequots worked hard to convince the neighboring Narragan sets the only that only by uniting against the English could either tribe survive. But their arguments went unheard. And check this out. Following the advice of Roger Williams, the Narragan sets agreed to ally themselves with Massachusetts Bay, leaving the Pequots virtually alone in their determination to resist the English. Very interesting. Ooh. Wow, Roger. Come on, buddy. Bruh. I wonder why you decided on that. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, we're I, starting to see a pretty dire situation for the Pequot people. Yeah. And the Pequots are all like, man, we need to unify if we want to get our power back and we need to not lose our cultural identity. But the Narragan sets, they don't... They want to be some uh, house Indians, I guess. <laughs> I would just, it sounds like they have beef. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Now, hostilities between the Pequots and the English were ostensibly triggered by the murder of two white ship captains and their crew. One of the mariners, or one of the crew members, John Stone, <laughs> was hated among the English, for he had attempted to murder Governor Prince of Plymouth and had later been banished from Massachusetts for other misdeeds. All right, John Stone. (laughs) Um, Two years after John Stone's death in 1634, a guy named John Oldham was found murdered on his ship off Block Island. These names... (laughs) (laughs) Using these incidents as justification for a punitive expedition against the unsubmissive Pequots, a joint Connecticut-Massachusetts force marched into Pequot country and demanded the murderers, who it turned out were not Pequots, as well as a thousand fathoms of wampum, wampum, an accepted unit of exchange, and some Pequot children as hostages. Ooh. Interesting. That's... So... Huh. This reminds me of something, but I'm forgetting at the moment. Where, where you use an incident to oh the Gulf Tonkin incident, Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you using an incident that it's not related to to start a war essentially, or to continue hostilities among someone whom you want to. Def- who you want to fight, but you don't want to be the aggressor, so to speak. Well, that's what the United States did with the war in Iraq. They used Spanish American war too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. This is so many parallels in the future, future American history. Spanish American war. Some shit just never changes. Does it? Yeah. It's sort of like if the government wants a war, ladies and gentlemen, they'll find an excuse. Even if they, even if it means killing their own, civilians yeah operation northwoods <laughs> which didn't go into effect but it's shocking that it was proposed at least mm-hmm. so 
the English go into the Pequot uh, country and accuse the Pequots of murdering um, these ship captains. And they, and the English say, if you don't give us 1,000 fathoms of something called wampum and some Pequot children as hostages, we're going to fight. Yeah. So the Pequots understood that the issue ostensibly about the death of several English uh, crew members was much broader, involving an interlocking set of disputes over land, trade, and political control of the region. So the Pequots are stupid. These were the real causes of the war that broke out shortly, the land, trade, and political control. At the center of the tensions were the English-Dutch trade rivalry and intertribal Indian hostilities. So I guess the English and Dutch had a few uh, beef. So since 1622, the Dutch in New Amsterdam, soon to become New York City, mm-hmm. <laughs> had controlled the Indian trade of the region through their connections to both the Pequot and the Narragansett, Narragansett, as you say, the area's two strongest tribes. Watching the rapid expansion of the English in the 1630s, the Dutch purchased land on the lower Connecticut River, an area on which several English groups had their eyes and built a trading post to defend their regional trading monopoly. Oh, so it all comes back to money, man. <laughs> all about the money. The money. Isn't it funny? Making the money. You know, that's one thing Marx was right about. Let's be honest. This shit is all about money. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that section in Das Kapital where Marx says, yo, this shit is literally about money. <laughs> if it ain't about... it. It's sort of like with Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, their song The Message. It's all about money and a damn thing funny. You got to have a con in this land of milk and honey. <laughs> nice. And so this dispute between the Pequots and the English, it's also about the dispute between English and Dutch trading rights and trading land. So some of the Pequots' uh, discontented client tribes, however, were already breaking away and signing separate trade agreements and giving land to the English. Mm. So, man, this is all types of jacked up. This is kind. Of, this is getting to the point where you got this person against this person against that person against this person. This yeah. is like a war. This is like a mini world war, a regional war. Yeah, because remember earlier what we've read that the Pequots have kind of built this very large trading network, but a lot of that was built on tributary relationships mm, yeah. with client tribes. Much like the Aztecs. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure there's a lot of similarities between this and the Aztec Empire, but so we can see, you know, like a lot of these quote unquote clients being discontented with the the relationship with the Pequot so some of them break away and they start to sign trade agreements with the English mm. yeah they're probably swayed by that money you know what I'm saying oh, oh yeah wow and, and you know what else I'm thinking about too is language like these people are really learning their languages fast because I can't imagine that all these Indian tribes have the same language, right? No, they don't. <laughs> yeah. They, they kind of have like similar languages, like they belong to a family of languages, but they're not the same yeah. language. It's crazy. Like, can you imagine being a linguist at this time? Like, hey, I'm learning this language, learning that language. Hmm. Yeah. It 
it's like you know like our friend from uh pakistan i mean it was like six languages oh yeah yep yeah very well educated guy too yeah mm-hmm. um so what we just said provided the context for this pequot war we got beefs all over dutch english uh, the Pequots with their client tribes. We got the Narangit, the Naranchets. <laughs> I just say Naranchets. Naranchets up in here too. So this fragmentation, man. Now, the the English, the expansionist English, were ready with the aid of their allies to drive the Dutch traders from southern New England and to subdue the Pequots who occupied some of the area's most fertile soil. There's, so, there's that big incentive, the <laughs> land. We got to plow the soil. Pl- fertilize that soil. Plow it. <laughs> and so the Pequots first tried to placate the English, though they were not prepared to subject, subject themselves to English authority. As, and the Pequots actually made the huge wampum, wampum trade. And when Pequot attempts to negotiate, the dispute failed. They chose to resist. So now we got a war. So I also, before we get into that, I actually kind of want to clarify what a wampum actually is. Or a wampum. Oh, okay. So wampum is a traditional shell bead of the Eastern Woodlands tribes of Native Americans. It includes white shell beads hand-fashioned from the North Atlantic channeled whelk shell and white and purple beads made from the uh, Quahog or Western North Atlantic hard shell clam. Let me send you, like, the article. Because these things actually mm-hmm. look kind of cool. But... So, yeah, and this was their unit of exchange, right? So it actually was not originally a unit of exchange. It wasn't being used as that until the English mistook it for a currency and they just kind of adopted oh, it. Of course, of course. So <laughs> its actual purpose, its use, it, it kind of depends. Um, but like among the Iroquois peoples, for example, wampum strings represented a formal affirmation of cooperation or friendships between groups mm-hmm. or as an invitation to a meeting. The Iroquois also used wampum as a person's credentials or certificate of authority. It was also used for official purposes and religious ceremonies, and it was used as a way to bind peace between tribes. So these are pretty significant and important objects. Among among the Iroquois, every chief and every clan mother has a string of wampum that serves as a certificate of office. When they pass on or are removed from their station, the string will then pass on to the new leader. Runners carrying messages during the colonial times would present the wampum, showing that they had the authority to carry the message. Mm. So, it's also very important for like diplomatic communication, too. Yeah, it's very interesting, man, too. Yeah. The, the culture. Yeah, it was Europeans who basically adopted them as a form of currency or as like a unit of exchange. It became legal tender in New England from 1637 to 1661. Hey, it just makes me think too, like the English see these as currency, but these tribes that use them, they see them as an essential part of their identity. Yeah, not just identity, but it actually serves, like, practical functions. Mm. 
like it designates authority it verifies your credentials it kind of like authenticates you it's used as a means to communicate or to invite people it's used for a lot of different things and it seems like very important <clears throat> and then whitey shows up and it's like oh they like these beads <laughs> maybe it's money or something i don't know yeah let's use this yeah it's money commodifying everything <laughs> yeah God, I tell you, the more you learn about history, the more, the, at least me, the more I'm thinking, you know what? Marx is right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Brother is right. And, and, I'm, and I'm not, a, I don't consider myself a communist. I don't even consider myself a socialist, but I'm like, you know what? The more I learn about history, the more I'm like, this guy's fucking spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Especially his view of uh, economic uh or what's it called material material historic or yeah historic so, materialism whatever uh whatever fancy term scholars give it but yeah where the impetus the impetus of history is economic historical materialism is what you're talking about yeah. oh so okay yeah it ba- so basically, a TLDR for those of you in the audience, historical materialism is a methodology used by Marxist, histog- by Marxist historiographers to understand human societies and their development through history, arguing, arguing that, the his- that history is the result of material conditions rather than ideals. But then again, hold on. I'm gonna, let me push back against myself, though, because history... Who's history? Like, what about if, what about if these uh, indigenous people tribes? What about if these tribes wrote their own history because they were more oral cultures? What if they had more of a uh, written culture? How would they write history? Yeah. How would they see history? Interesting. So maybe Marx was saying the Western model of history. It was probably coming from a very Eurocentric view. Yeah. Hmm. Because I know, uh, and, and you know more than about this than me, because you took more class. You took a couple classes on it. What about the uh, East Asian view of history? It's more circular, right? Um. So, if I remember right, a lot of views, like a lot of models and views of time and history among a lot of cultures in East and Central Asia tend to be cyclical but they're all obviously pretty different like yeah yeah the view of history from like let's say china is probably going to be very different from a view of history from an indian perspective <clears throat> similar yeah, cause, but yeah because the indian especially hindu indian they would uh, uh, hold on hold on so when we say indian right now we're talking about any stage india mm-hmm so a Hindu Indian, they would probably see history as a grand manifestation of uh, what's that thing they the force of everything. The you mean Brahman or Brahman? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so, man, it's interesting, man. But anyway, um, let's get back here to this pequot war here because this is very important because this, this war is going to lay the foundation for the few the puritans going forward 
It's going to unite them. And so in the ensuing war, the English are finding that the Pequots are better than them until, until the Pequots were able to surround, until the English were able to surround a secondary Pequot village on the Mystic River in May 1637. The English and the Narangan set allies attacked before dawn, infiltrated the town, and set fire to the Pequot wigwams before beating a fast retreat. And in the melee, about 20 Narangan sets, Narangan sets suffered wounds at the hand of the English, who found it difficult to distinguish between Indian allies and enemies. Jesus so Christ. they all look the same to me. <laughs> it is literally that. It's yeah. literally white dudes who like commit in friendly <laughs> fighters like, oh, I could tell the difference. Or a bunch of like uh, people who just had bloodthirsty on their mind like, eh, I can get, I can like hit this guy with my sword or whatever and then just say, ah, he looked like one of them to me. <laughs> yeah. And so retreating from the flame engulfed village, the English regrouped and waited for the fleeing survivors. Most of the victims were non-combatants since the Pequot warriors were gathered at another village about five miles away. And before the day was over, the English slaughtered a large part of the Pequot tribe. They rounded up Pequots who escaped or were not at the fort and the English sold them to other tribes, shipped them to the West Indies for sale as slaves and distributed about 250 captured men, women and children to serve as lifelong household servants in the towns of Massachusetts and Connecticut. Thus began what one historian calls the Americans, quote-unquote, first way of war. The conquest of an enemy population through the complete destruction of villages and fields and the killing of non-combatant women and children as well as male warriors. It's worse. Ooh, that's heavy. It's like it's worse than total war. Mm. It is like, well. It's like it you know, is. Yeah, it's killing, stealing, and slaving. Absolutely, yeah, literally, because they kill and they steal the land, and literally, they're enslaving people, sending them to be slaves. Yeah, it's all three. Oh my gosh, dude! No matter what, no matter if the if, no matter if the American value is pursuit of profit, or if it's America or it's freedom. Religious freedom or whatever freedom. Mm-hmm. The result is the same here. What a disturbing paragraph, bro. Yeah. It's a fucking mass murder. It sounds what's being read here is like largely reads like a mass murder to me. Because why? why yeah, exact mass murder. Because why couldn't why couldn't the, the Puritans when they see the people coming out of these villages they see that they're mostly women and children who can't fight. They don't have any weapons. Why don't they just say, oh, crap, let's lay off, y'all. They're, they're fleeing. Their village is in shambles because it's burning and shit. Let's not kill them because they're women and children. They ain't got no weapons. They're just fleeing. This but is nah. fucking barbaric. Like, holy shit. Dude, this is Genghis Khan type stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So... I'm trying to read oh. some of the stuff that you... All right. So... Yeah. Can and, you see that? Is it clear? In their accounts of the war, Massachusetts and Connecticut leaders excluded religious... No, exuded. Exuded religious... Okay, it's too hard to read. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. I tried, everybody. I gave it the college try. Well, next time we do something like this where we uh, comment and give commentary, um, I'm going to get you a book. Oh, boy. So, in their accounts of that war, the Massachusetts and Connecticut Puritan leaders, they have this religious seal. It's like they got a religious heart on, so to speak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? One of New England's first historians, a guy named William Hubbard, wrote that dozens of captured Pequots were put on board the ship of Captain John Gallup, which proved to be uh, the underworld's ferry boat for them, for it was found... The quickest was to feed the fishes with them. So this is weird. So I guess this historian is saying that these ships full of uh, Indian enslaved people died on the ship. So one of the mili- one of the militia captains wrote that at Mystic Fort, God laughed at his enemies and the enemies of his people's to scorn, making them a fiery oven and filling the place with dead bodies. So God is Hillary Clinton laughing at <laughs> Gaddafi. <laughs> we came, we saw, he died. What a way. And Governor William Bradford of, of Plymouth wrote that it was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire. What the fuck? And the streams of blood quenching the same. And horrible was the stink and scent thereof, but the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice. And they gave praise thereof to God, who had wrought so wonderfully for them, thus to enclose their enemies in the hands and given them so speedy a victory over so proud and insulting an enemy. Dude, I feel like I'm reading the Iliad or something with their frying in the fire and streams of blood. This is like more gruesome than the fucking Iliad shit. Well, I don't. I wouldn't say that now, oh, <laughs> but it's I, getting there. I've read like half of the Iliad, so maybe I'm wrong. So, in 1638, at the Treaty of Hartford, the Pequot Nation was declared dissolved. I mean, why even have a treaty at this point? <laughs> like you just mass murdered a bunch of people and burned their yeah. bodies. It's over. Like, it even says in the next fucking paragraph, too, the genocidal behavior of the, quote, civilized, unquote, Puritans demonstrated at Mystic Fort shocked the American set, quote, unquote, savages who fought with the Puritans. So, apparently there was some beef between the American set and the Pequots. And American sets are seeing this behavior and they're going like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, uh, holy shit, we made the wrong choice. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah. These white men are like, dangerous. It's sort of like, if they did that to them, what are they going to do to my red ass? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Gee, Christmas. I just... It, whether it's Virginia, based on the pursuit of profit, or whether it's Plymouth, Massachusetts, based on religious freedom, why is genocide... Why is the why it's what man so going on to page 84 um uh let me get sorry i'm just shocked right it's like what so going to page 84 there's another good uh primary source quote here so 
Continuing on with the text, it was a poignant comment on the different conduct and function of warfare in the two societies, the Indian society and the Puritan society. Indian war had traditionally been limited and sporadic, far less bloody and devouring than the cruel wars of Europe, as Roger Williams put it. Whereas the Indians might fight seven years and not kill seven men, the English were schooled in terror tactics from their invasion of Ireland a generation before. Yeah, because <laughs> Ireland was pretty much the role model. It was like the testing ground for how to conduct this kind of shit. It's crazy, too, because haven't we been conditioned to think of the IRA, which is the... Um, Irish Republican Army? Yeah, who want independence for Ireland, right? There's, there's like six different ones. So. Oh, see, I don't even know that. But how would we be conditioned to see those people as terrorists? Basically. Yeah, but the real terrorist, if we want, if you even want to use that definition, were the English here? Oh, fuck yeah, they, they're like whole, they're just engaging in wholesale slaughter. Yeah. I mean, be this, everybody out there, be careful. When you hear somebody use the word terrorism, even us, shit. Mm -hmm. But especially be careful when you hear the government, when you hear your government use the word terrorist or terrorism. Because the biggest terrorist in this world, at least in my opinion, are governments. I mean, governments have the bombs and the drones and the tanks and the thousands and the millions and millions of troops. And the and governments are the ones who do this. Mm -hmm. what's really the difference between a modern military and a terrorist org depend it's the it's the pr that's the difference yeah terrorists just get bad pr yeah yeah so like uh no i was thinking something at sunny in philadelphia when uh when uh boko haram well, I would call them terrorists because they terrorize. But the Boko Haram took Frank's Wolf Cola and sponsored it. And then uh, Frank was thinking that uh, the the Flor if Florida city, right? Boko Haram or whatever it's called. I don't even know what it's called. Mm -hmm. That just reminded me of that. Jesus Christ. So, so the English the, or the Puritans' victory also allayed the anxiety and disunity that had overtaken the colony. So coming on the hills of three years of intense internal discord centered around the challenges to the power of magistrates by Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson, the war refocused the attention of the elders and common people alike. Cancel culture, so, baby. Not only that, dude, war as a uniting factor. Like that's how, for example, um, that's one of the reasons why Bush the second, <laughs> why Bush like he's the a second, <laughs> why that's what I call the son of a bitch. But Bush the second and his shadow government led by Cheney was able to go was able to get such widespread support for invasion of Afghanistan, invasion of Iraq, the Patriot Act. It's because of nine eleven how war, how war and these attacks can unite. Of people and make them less critical of their government. 
Mm-hmm. But it's also how, for example, the the con artist, the grifter, whatever you want to call this parasite, Rudy Giuliani was seen as such a beloved figure back then. <laughs> yeah. Like, war. War is great for those with power to mm-hmm. consolidate power. Yeah. Because it creates an outsider to direct all that animosity towards. Mm-hmm. So, like, and you make a very excellent point when you bring up that basically during the Bush era, like, it was super fucking unpopular to come out against the war. Yes. Mm -hmm. To talk, to criticize, you know, like, the military, even though, like, there are accounts of the military, the United States military, like, engaging in, like, downright criminal shit. Mm. Like depl- like using like what what was it depleted depleted uranium in the Battle Ooh. of Fallujah mm. or how yeah shit like that mm. but don't you dare fucking criticize it don't you fucking dare that's un-American you hate the troops blah 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 mm-hmm. shit like that yeah and politicians too like, and let's be honest too government leaders. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna cut them some slack a little bit here because think about it. What about government leaders who came out against those wars back then? They were seen, like you said, as anti-American. So I think a lot of them, in order not to be quote unquote canceled and criticized, I think a lot of them just went along with it. Yeah. Cause they didn't want to end up like Roger Williams or Ann Hutchinson. Right, yeah. Who end up they being wanted to be banished. reelected. It's just, and also too, what you said reminds me of uh, why did Bush the first go even into Iraq, the the first Gulf War? That's mm-hmm. interesting too, because ostensibly the reason I shouldn't say ostensibly, I should use a better word, uh, the given reason, the PR reason, I should say, the propaganda was, oh, we got to save these Kurdish people who are being gassed by Saddam Hussein. When the fuck has the United States ever cared about? any peoples around the world when it's not in their self-interest yeah you feel me so i'm like why what's the real reason yeah i mean fuck and think about like in the grand scheme of themes like during the trump era the united states fucking abandoned the kurds in syria who were fighting (laughs) isis and you know who came in fucking turkey and you want to side yeah and turkey started to kill kurdish people again oh of course of course yeah that's what happens. These power vacuums, they lead to even worse enemies, like yeah. ISIS. Ooh. All right, we are almost through this, people. Yeah. So, But I love these parallels, man. Yeah, there's so... It's like Hopefully y'all out there do, too. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who knows a little bit of Latin like yourself, what's that term, there's nothing new under the sun? Oh, uh... Nihil sub, nihil sub, solus, sola. Oh, nihil. Nihil sub sole novum. Novum, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of like, when I think about this shit, I'm like, God, there is literally fucking nothing new about this. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, it just makes you think, how far does this go back? Like... (laughs) 
Continuing, uh, yeah, three paragraphs left, even though we won't read all three. So, but continuing, victory over the Pequots decisively established English so- sovereignty, sovereignty over all the native peoples of southeastern New England, except in Narragan sets and removed the one remaining obstacle to expansion into the Connecticut River Valley. The, tribe of, the tribes of southern New England reduced to about one quarter of the former population. Jeez adjusted as best as they could to the new realities of Puritan power. So you still had the fur trade going on. And that was one thing where they collaborated. But the flourishing trade of the 1630s petered out in the mid-century as the beaver supply in New England dwindled. In spite of these trade contract, trade contracts and contacts, most of the post-war remnant groups struggled to maintain their native way of life. Some of the weaker and more demoralized bands of Indians followed the handful of missionaries. Finally spurred to action in 1643 by English critics who charged that conversion had been ignored for more than a decade. After 10 years of effort, less than a thousand Indians of the region were settled in the four villages of quote-unquote praying Indians or converted Indians. Mm -hmm. And fewer than 100 of these declared their conversion to Puritan Christianity. But first you kill them, and then who's ever left, let's try to convert them. (laughs) The remaining, like, quarter that has survived, who are demoralized and weak compared to the power of the English. Yeah. This is, this is, this is, I don't know what this is. (laughs) How is it it that we always end a series like this on genocide? (laughs) Blame the fucking Jamestown people and these Puritans. Yeah. I mean, genocide is a main characteristic of the relationship between Native Americans and colonizers like us. Or at least the governments that claim to represent them, anyway. Oh. For Puritans and non-Puritans migrating into New England in increasing numbers after the mid-century, uh, 17th century, the, Ingl- the Indians' useful- usefulness was dwindling. Hundreds of enslaved Indians still toiled in Puritan households. In coastal towns, Indian men served on fishing boats, and many Indian women performed domestic labor. But the Indian population fell rapidly in the 17th century. The church took only a minor interest in Native Americans who in any event could rarely satisfy the qualifications that Puritans placed on their own people for church membership and the Indian trade withered. As fishing, lumbering, shipbuilding, and agriculture became the mainstays of the colonizer's economy. So not only do they kill them and then convert the remainder, they're also taking over their livelihoods. What's left of their fucking livelihoods? What's anyway? left? So they're not useful to us anymore. Let's not worry about them. It's sort of like today the modern Indian experience with the reservation system. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that's not something, honestly, quite honestly, I know much about. But I, I do know this: it's pretty that fucking some bad. of the well, the poorest places in the United States of America are these Indian reservations. Yeah. 
even poorer than uh, rural communities in Mississippi and Alabama, even. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the, just the history of killing, stealing, and enslaving. And I, and, and I may chuckle, I may laugh, but again, it's not good nature chuckle. It's not good nature laugh. It's, it's the ironic laugh. It's the tears, like I said, of a clown. It's when doves cry, like Prince said. Yeah. Because how else can you stay sane and know this stuff? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, how else do you cope? Oh, yeah, cope. Uh, it's like our boy David Bowie and Freddie Mercury said, you know, it's a terror knowing what this world is about. Oof. A terror. So what are your thoughts, brother? My thoughts. So many fucking <laughs> parallels about what we can, what we experience in modern times. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily, like, I can't really tell you the last native genocide that the United States has perpetrated. Uh, but the marginalization is still there, obviously. So the pattern, the pa- historically the pattern in the United States, and I know this is all technically before there was the United States, yeah. but the pattern uh, that the United States exhibits with its history towards the native peoples is usually one of either extermination, i.e. genocide, or mm-hmm. B, assimilation. And it's historically kind of gone back and forth, back and forth. And I think with this past century, it's been more assimilation. Oh. That's, but it's also because the extermination has already fucking taken its toll. It's done its work. I mean, yeah. there are obviously still like Native Americans and around and native tribes and cultures and languages don't get me wrong but many of those that have survived are critically endangered now Mm. and also too let's not just think about the body physical let's think too about cultural Mm -hmm. like like what cultural genocide i mean wouldn't it be cool to learn these languages like, like, because when you look at, for example, languages and the culture of these Indian tribes, it, it's their way of viewing the world. And we lost that. We lost the fundamental way of seeing the world through their lens. It's literally the destruction of perspective and worldview. There you go. Can't, I can't say it better myself. The and destruction be- of perspective and worldview. And because, like, one of the big things that we've touched on throughout this entire episode is liberty and freedom and so on and so forth, that is one of the things that has historically been denied to Native people. The freedom to learn their Native cultures, Native languages, um, and all that. And now, granted, it may not be necessarily illegal to learn, like the resources to learn any indigenous language are pretty scarce. Yeah. So 
in that way, that freedom is kind of still denied to a lot mm-hmm. of Native folks. And, yeah. maybe, and maybe to talk on a personal level, like, as somebody who is of Native and ancestry, like, how do you feel about that shit? Uh, speechless, I guess. I mean, it just leaves you speechless because you... It leaves you with so many questions because you got to think, man, what did they feel? Like, like for example, think about gender, right? Mm-hmm. Think about where were their, what were their gender pronouns? What right? were their ideas? Yeah. Of, yeah, their norms or their roles or whatever. Yeah, it's like a part of your identity is forever lost to you, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, the pieces of yourself forever lost you have to do your best to reconstruct whatever you have with what's left and i'm like man how would they see how would they because i'm thinking right now about the languages that i do know or or are interested in and i think about well do they have a personal word word for the word for the concept of i me or was it more communal Stuff like that, just just stuff like that. That's the kind of stuff we lose or we lost. Yeah, by by the wholesale slaughter, like these Puritans did um, in the Pequot War. Mm-hmm. And and in the end, what was it all for anyway? Like the freedom of this particular group of people to create this extremely controlling society mm-hmm. yeah like that perpetuated genocide that perpetuated slavery for fucking what mm. this shitty little colony <laughs> yeah like religious totalitarianism like is was that the fucking because that's what we got yeah i mean and uh there's a reason I think now there's like lots of reason nowadays for why when you describe someone or something as Puritan, it's done in a negative light. Negative way, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sexually repressive, um, uh, hostile in their own community. And not only that, these are people willing to kill members of their own community. Look at the Salem witch trials. That's a Puritan thing. We need to do a Salem Witch Trials thing. Those were Puritans. We got to do an October. Okay. Halloween. We're doing a fucking Salem Witch Trial one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Well, let me just give some background information on it too. Um, 1692 and 1693. Yeah. Colonial Massachusetts. Puritans. So it's interesting, too, because those people were killed in the Salem Witch Trial, but Roger Williams and Anne Hutchinson weren't. So it seems like they're getting more radical toward their own people over time. And, oh, and also, too, this is also something that we can go back to Texas. We started with Texas. We're going to come. We're going to end with Texas right now. Yeah. Think about this. Think about the Western concept of society or history as a progression it's always advancing, going forward. That's not true, though. Think about, um, God damn it, I hate to talk about this again, but it's such a good example. I'm going to say it. 
Think about Germany mm-hmm. in the late 18 in the late 19th century and going into the 20th century and going after even World War One. Germany was a place of the, one of the more one of the most educated places in all of the world. Some of the uh, more educated people, some of the greatest scholarly work. Like some, they, they even had a social uh, social security. Yeah, a version of it. <laughs> it was arguably one of the more progressive places to be in Europe at that. I use progressive yeah. very loosely, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. I, no, seriously, like uh, after the founding of Germany, I think in the night, uh, Otto von Bismarck and the Germany and the government of Germany, um, they had their own little form of socialism and stuff like social security already back then. Think about how progressive that was and think of what it devolved into, right? Yeah. With their own genocide. Literally the fucking Third Reich. If that was yeah. not a step backwards in any fucking uh, direction, direction, then yeah. yeah. But this whole idea of like history is progressing to some kind of like end point where it reaches mm-hmm. like maximum... Like some maximum, yeah, maximum level of progress or whatever. Like it's a fucking like experience bar in an MMO. You, you mm-hmm. level to reach the, the societal level cap. Yeah. And, uh, and, and anybody out there, don't take me out of context. I'm not saying that America, the United States of America will devolve into a Nazi-like state. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you got to be careful because we're on a slope now. We're... F- we're it, even with the election of Trump, like we're on a slope to where it's more, it's not progressing. Society is not progressing. Um, or I would say values don't seem to be progressing, I guess. not. Eh, maybe that's a blanket statement, though. I'm pushing back against myself. Maybe that's a blanket statement. I'll just say, be careful. Don't believe in this view of society will always get better. No. It won't get better because we have to continually fight to make it better. That's what I'm guess I'm trying to say before I make any blanket statement. Because you know me, I'm very careful about that. So that's what I'm saying. We always have to fight to make things better. Yeah. I mean, also yeah. think of it this way, too. We still live in a world where it is actually very possible for a nuclear war to literally send us oh, back to the gosh, fucking yes. Stone Age. Yes. <laughs> like that is still, we don't think about it anymore, but that is still a thing that can actually still happen. Well, it, to eliminate the human species. Yeah. It's yeah. It r- really. <sighs> and think about it. Some of the, and what scares me are radical leaders who would use nuclear weapons like we complain a lot about and we complain about oh man our leaders in the united states of america they're so centrist they're so moderate well i'd rather have those motherfuckers than than a guy who would literally pull the switch on a nuclear bomb and bomb somebody yeah or i mean to fucking erase human existence like 10 times over so just be careful out there, but if what we learned in this series on our value of freedom, an American value of freedom, first of all, freedom, the American value of freedom is always defined by different people in minutely narrow contexts. But also, society doesn't naturally progress. We got to, prog- we have to make it better. And 
I would argue that this Texas thing that we started with and that we're ending with now is not making it better. But I'm not saying that we're slipping down into Mussolini or Hitlerville. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we have to continually fight to make sure that our society gets better for all. So Preach. <laughs> yeah. All right. You pretty much said a lot of what I would have said, actually. So... I actually don't really have any thoughts to add to that point. So, hey, we, we've been adding thoughts for the last 10 minutes, bro. <laughs> we have been. And I think this is probably the perfect time to wrap up. So we've yeah. finally gotten through our history of the Puritans, the Pilgrims, and the Plymouth Colony. And we've learned a lot about freedom. I don't know how we could possibly deconstruct freedom more than we already <laughs> have. Yes. Um, we've talked a lot more than just freedom, too, which I always like because despite I feel like we hit the target for what we aspire to talk about. I like the fact that we also are able to cover so much more than just that. No, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like a big fucking buffet, you know, it's a buffet rich yeah and it's insightful a, it's a buffet um, where we struggle to pronounce words and um hmm, breaking news <laughs> oh boy you're gonna be interested in this alright everybody breaking news breaking news I just checked our gmail account and we have three emails from the ex <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah I forgot to tell you about that. So on a previous episode, uh, episode 13, where we talked about X Church, um, I may or may not have sent a uh, a request of some sort <laughs> under the name Martin Cornbread. Yeah, and go back to that episode, everyone. <laughs> Would you like to read before we go what those fucking... It's more lighthearted. This is a more lighthearted. So the first email that I got from them was sent to, to us in our email on August 19th. And it says, Martin Cornbread, thank you for signing up for Welcome to the X. Your event takes place. No. Yeah, it says your event take place. Whoa. It didn't even say takes. Your event take place the first Sunday of each month. During the 11.15 a.m. What does that mean? Your event take place. <laughs> no, no. Here's the first sentence. Thank you for, or two sentences. Thank you for signing up to Welcome to the X. Your event take place the first Sunday of each month during 11.15 a.m. experience? <laughs> what? What? My event? What? Our team will be reaching out to you more details as we get closer. We can't wait to host you and help you discover what makes X church unique and how God can use you and your story to help get people on the path to God. See you soon by Zachary Brown connections, pastor. And let's look at that. I'll, I'll read the second one here. Okay. Martin. I like how it doesn't even say Martin Cornbread. It's just Martin. <laughs> Martin. Don't forget Sunday is welcome to the X. Hey there, you are getting this email from me because you are signed up for Welcome to the X. Welcome to the X is a one hour experience where you get to discover more about X Church and how you can be involved. 
I just want to remind you that we are starting at 11.15 a.m. Light refreshments and childcare will be provided. Don't let anything stand in the way of discovering the story that God wants to do through you. Can't wait to see you there. Man, this guy really needs to work on his, like, proofreading. And the last one. Oh, yeah. Happy Saturday. Hope you had a great weekend. I can't wait to see you tomorrow at 11.15 a.m. for Welcome to the X. Oh shit! <laughs> oh wow! Oh we oh we reached oh god we didn't check this till late man we reached the deadline we overcame it oh dear mm. oh well okay everybody <laughs> that was a little something lighthearted to lighten up things before it goes thank you for joining us for this really heavy admittedly heavy experience as we learned about the history of the native peoples, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, and the Plymouth Colony. So... Also, uh, check us out, y'all, on Twitter, Ministry Modus. Correct? Follow us on Twitter, yes, at Ministry Modus. And And, uh, send us an email. Yes, (laughs) shoot us an email at martinandcornbread at gmail.com. It's all one word, martinandcornbread at gmail.com. Feel free to send us an email, send us a death threat, whatever floats your boat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. All right, bye. Bye.